This week we learned that to get ahead in life, you need to do whatever it takes. But to get ahead, sometimes you just need a little help from your dad as we discuss the 1985 cult classic Stuart Gordon's Reanimator. Hello and welcome to the Bloody Bits Horror Show. I am your host, Eddie. The Axe Jefferson and joining me as always is the John Blutarski of Miskatonic University, Tim Yobo. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing so good. You know why? Because I just got back from BJ's and I bought a case of family size Cool Whip. The Blood of Bits Horror Show does That's not crazy. endorse the use of <laughs> propellant. I'm putting it on my cake. Oxide. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Whoa, oh, what a cake. Man. It's made Tim, out of beautiful colors and sounds. Tim, you might be the whipped cream on this cake, but the cherry on top of this, ladies and gentlemen, we are being joined once again by Mr. Yago Faustus. How are you doing today, sir? Just fine. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so happy to be here. It's this always is a, good to have you on, Faustus. I'm, you know, I'm delighted. This is a movie that I, I asked Eddie to do, I think, not long, or I think I asked Eddie to do it not long after we are, Stuart uh, Gordon, uh, our great director for this, had died last year in March. Uh, and so it's still RIP, and I'm still rearing to do the tribute, because this is, a, this is an amazing one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No better place to start than at the start. And uh, wow, what a phenomenal one. So, Tim, I'll ask you first, buddy. What is your history with the film Reanimator? Uh, okay, uh, everybody who's listening to this podcast, please don't shit your pants. But I saw this one time when it came out on video, and that was it. So this is the first time in, what, how many years that I've watched it? Jeez, man. You saw it in 84. Well, that been like what eighty six, eighty seven when it came out on video. Sounds about right. Yeah, not even in the movie wow. theaters. Just just rented on video. Watched it one time. I liked it. I didn't. I, I didn't. I, I didn't hate the movie or anything like that. But it was just one of those movies for me at that time in my life. It was a one and done because I was always, what's the new movie that's coming out? What's the new thing mm-hmm. that I can rent? Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, Faustus, what about yourself? I think I probably saw it on. I never saw it in the theaters. But I probably saw it on video shortly after it came out. And I've gone back to it a number of times over the years. I had read the story uh, mm. that's the literary source for this movie, uh, which was written by H.P. Lovecraft mm-hmm. before seeing it. Uh, because I, you know, I just read all those stories when I was you know, in my early teens. And I guess they influenced my outlook Yes, I think my most people listening since. to this podcast have gone through the H.P. Lovecraft phase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or they're still there. Well, they're still um, I'm living, still, yes. I'm still there. I think. I mean, I still read these stories. In fact, I reread it uh, for this podcast just to get a sense of how uh, the writers of this particular movie were able to adapt it into a into something that would be easy for late 20th century, early 21st century people to watch. Uh, and 
so because it's intriguing because Lovecraft is a is a bit of a difficult writer, and this was probably his least favorite story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Lovecraft is up there with Stephen King for hard to translate from book to film. Hmm. Mm. Agreed. So, for me, You're a little I, bit I, low, Eddie. What's that? You sound a little bit low. Oh, hold on here. Let me. I can make myself a little bit higher in the application. How's that, sir? Oh, there you go. Oh, a little bit better. Nitrous oxide gets that voice nice and high. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. My so my history with this one is it's one of them I rented as a kid, of course, watched it a couple of times, and then um, sort of later on, I, I uh, when I lived in a uh, college town, they had a midnight screening of it. So I got to actually see it on the big screen, probably illegally, uh, but that's okay. And I, I just remember rewatching it and just saying, wow, like I'd, I'd seen this before. And like you, Tim, I kind of like passed over it, but there was something to it because th- th- there's, there was a heart behind it that, that I, I guess I didn't pick up on when I was younger. And since then, it's, it's become um, probably one of my favorite of the, uh, the cult horror films uh oh yeah i really enjoyed watching it and i you know when it came out i was young and dumb and you know just watched it like i said i was always looking what's the newest video that i can rent mm-hmm. so i already seen this what's the next thing yep yeah i you know what and and uh that makes perfect sense because i mean you were there was a glut of horror coming out on vhs back in in those days so totally i totally see how this could just kind of slipped by you know um thankfully though it, it it's i mean it's definitely earned its stripes in the annals of history as uh as you we, we talked about a little bit briefly uh before this faustus this was sort of the uh the first effort of Stuart gordon may he rest in peace uh, and based very very loosely on hp lovecraft series herbert west reanimator um so I guess we can get a little bit into the background of it. Uh, what I've got, Stuart Gordon founded Chicago's Organic Theater Company, uh, which he was the artistic director of for 16 years. And he had a uh, kind of a passion for horror, but, but more specifically, the, the Frankenstein story, which this was uh, very, very clearly referencing and, and uh, homage, maybe parody of at points. Um, I know that it is, it is said that Lovecraft uh, wrote that this was meant to be a parody of Frankenstein, but I don't think anybody has any real citation for that. I dug around and couldn't find any. So one of Gordon's friends pointed him to Lovecraft's Herbert West Reanimator series, which was written uh, between 21 and, in 1921 and 1922, and serialized in his friend's publication, Homebrew Magazine. Uh, Lovecraft uh, later complete, went on... Completely amateur fiction, by the way. Completely amateur fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found a couple of scans of, of uh, issues of it for a, a quarter apiece, and, uh, as you would imagine at the time. And, and uh, the, the artwork on, on the covers were, were uh, not bad, but Lovecraft kind of later went on to disavow this work, saying he really only wrote it for the money, as he was paid uh, five dollars per per uh, hmm. treatment of it. So of course, this would be like almost like his most famous thing that happened, right? It's um, always the one that you do for money that you don't care about that becomes like your most famous thing. Yeah, 
as far as like on-screen adaptations, this might be the one that that most people know. Maybe it, it's got like the longest tail on it. But personally, I'd say like I don't know, Call of Cthulhu is his his big thing that everybody I mean, recognizes. It probably depends on whether you're talking about H.P. Lovecraft's you know, literary stories, in which case this is still considered a fairly minor one. But these, as in terms of screen adaptations, which have always been a problem. Uh, this one is probably the best known. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I was definitely this. If anybody, if people even know that they've seen an H.P. Lovecraft movie, this is going to be the one that they think of. They might have seen like Colorado Space. They might have seen all the other things, but do they know that that's an H.P. Lovecraft thing? Yeah, Unless, I mean, you know, but... you're into H.P. Lovecraft, and that's why you're seeing it, not just renting it, being a teen. Because I'm sure that because at this point, I probably wasn't even reading H.P. Lovecraft. In 86 or 87, that came a little bit later, maybe like maybe in like the 90s, I started getting into reading them. So I'm sure that when I rented this, it was lost on me, like who the fuck H.P. Lovecraft was. Yeah. And uh, uh, Gordon kind of made it a point also, like that's why when you see the the uh, intro of this, it says H.P. Lovecraft's reanimator. And he planned on, you know, making the whole series of H.P. Lovecraft presents features which he did you know he uh went and made a few more but none more uh recognized maybe than reanimator uh the other thing that that uh, i have here is lovecraft was also frustrated that the publication required that each one of his uh, episodes of the serial ended in a cliffhanger so <laughs> i could see that being a, a kind of as a writer the constraint of that being annoying yeah, but back then that was the hook right that's why people bought newspapers that's why they subscribed to the magazines because they were left on cliffhangers yeah, yeah, makes sense. So, but it's Gordon, a, it's a very different it's a very different story because, first of all, characters who are central to this movie don't exist at all in mm -hmm. Lovecraft's world. He very Lovecraft very seldom writes women characters, uh, and there are just about none in the actual story, which comes in six parts. The story also spans uh, in narrative time something like seventeen years. Uh, whereas this movie feels like it probably covers a couple weeks yeah. of the characters' lives. Let's give it 17 live. weeks, maybe. Yeah. Because it took them a uh, while to get from Europe to America. Okay, yeah. If you, if you put yeah. the prologue in, he's several months out. But, but once we get to Miskatonic University, uh, it's, it's very, it all moves very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, Gordon originally planned on making this a uh, period piece and remaining faithful to the source content... Uh, and making it a series uh, of on a, of all places on PBS. He, <laughs> PBS wasn't wow. interested. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He wrote it. This is like maybe PBS in the 70s you get away with some of the shit that they're doing in this one. but No, no. But, but to be fair, though, to remaining faithful to the source material, uh, Lovecraft was pretty prudish. So... Most of the, like you said, Faust, is there were no female characters and, and anything sexual was not going to be happening. Yeah, well, uh, that was a, one of the many things that H.P. Lovecraft was, but go ahead. He's, yeah, a bit problematic. He is of his time, let's say. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, PBS, of course, rejected it. And then uh, he was, uh, Gordon was speaking with one of his friends and said, look, if you're trying to make a horror you you need to make it a full feature that no one's going to purchase like a half hour or an hour. So uh, the advice was jam everything from all six of the uh, serialized 
issues into one screenplay and uh, let it rip. Oh, which, like uh, what they did with the Dark Tower movie, right? Yeah. They try to put all the novels all, all into one movie. Yeah, but we're talking about short stories versus like a bunch of novels. So a little easier maybe. Um, one of the challenges Gordon had though was that and if you've read Lovecraft, a lot of his work is very, it leaves a lot to the imagination. Um, so adapting that is kind of tricky. Or um, kind of easy, right? Because it's left to your imagination. So you can't be wrong with whatever yeah, you're going to do. That's true. That's true. I mean, that but color it, out of space, who's to say that that's the wrong color? No, Tim. <laughs> But it, but it can make adaptation very difficult. I mean, if you you know if you have like the Shadow over Innsmouth, for example, as a, a period piece movie that's faithful to the material, it's it's going to be aw- very hard to make it as a movie because like maybe you know eighty percent of the running time would just be some guy walking around looking at things, mm-hmm. uh, and you know that that's hard to make work. It makes a great story because and in, in the atmospherics you're getting more and more of a sense that something's really wrong in this town. But it, it would be very challenging uh, for cinema. But I actually think that this particular story is one of his more explicit stories. Um, like he goes deep into gore in the source material. And so it's it's easier to adapt and turn into a movie, especially if you have Stuart Gordon-like sensibilities, where more really is more, and we're just going to show all kinds of appalling things. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, and so Gordon got... got pretty uh pretty lucky through his various connections through the theater and and some kind of friends in Hollywood he was able to get a hold of uh Brian Usna and uh be able to to produce it and if you don't if you haven't watched it already i mean you probably have but definitely watch it and definitely get the arrow uh release of it because there's an excellent documentary on it uh that that covers all of the making of the film and they show a lot of the behind the scenes of the uh, the practical effects, which in this film are phenomenal. Like, like... yes, I, I I was watching it. I was like, I know Eddie's coming in his pants just watching oh. the practical effects. <laughs> they they did a good job. There's there's the you know CGI doesn't exist in 1985 really, and there is one optical, mm-hmm. one, and everything else there is makeup and prostheses and puppets mm. uh, and fake blood and stuff that they got at a butcher shop, a lot of that, and then the uh, glowing yellow-orange stuff, uh, which they got from, like, uh, flares that they bought at a hardware store. They had a budget, I think, of a million dollars. It was all used as money, or it was money that he had personally guaranteed. Uh, and that's not a lot of money, but it's more in 1985 than it is now. Oh, yeah. And they man- they managed to make it work. Uh, and this is one of the great things about this movie is that when it's all one producer's money and he believes in you, as Yuzna apparently did, uh, you don't have executives coming into metal with what you're doing. Uh, and that means that a- an unusual vision can flourish, which it often can't in the Hollywood system. Yeah. Plus, it does not look like a million-dollar movie. If you told me that the budget for this was like $5 million, $6 million in 1985, I just believe it because it just it, just everything is incredible with how they've done it. Yeah. Yeah, it and all they, works. They got very, the puppets very... Don't really look, the puppets don't look like puppets. Like, that actually looks like a guy's severed head or like 
at least how you would imagine it would look, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. And they got very lucky with their visual effects guy. Um, <laughs> he he uh, was well known in the industry and uh, um, kind of took this on as uh, one of his pet projects. Um, it, it, so much so that, that they were, I mean, they ran over budget on this repeatedly. <laughs> um, so much so that the, uh, the musical composer, uh, Richard Band, actually had to go out of pocket uh while while they were while he was creating the uh the score for it which unfortunately got in uh, a little bit of trouble well not necessarily trouble but he was a little criticized for but yeah John P uh Fassel did the the visual effects for this he he also uh worked in many many different films and yeah i mean like to to your point when you, when you watch that documentary you know you get I'll never forget one of the the criticisms that Gordon had of his own film is he he's talking about the uh, um, the sort of degloving of the head and 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 the uh, opening of the skull and then removing the brain and they actually had used cow's brain and it was like well you know we we couldn't really afford to do it the way we wanted to do it so that's just what we did we went to the butcher shop and got it but. It, it makes it work. Yeah. yeah see, that's <laughs> the thing is, I think what it is, I think when you're constrained, you're more creative and it shows where mm -hmm. if they would have had like maybe a 30 or more, fuck, for, a 30 or 40 million fucking dollar budget, mm -hmm. it would have been today would have been CGI it. That's it. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll fix it in post. But to be thinking like, hey, let's go to the butcher shop and get some fucking cow brains. That's what we're going to do. And while you're there, pick me up a couple of steaks. Yeah. <laughs> No, and it looked phenomenal, and and uh, I mean to the, to the point of it, like nine hundred thousand dollar, a million dollar. That I mean, that is a substantial budget for back in the day for how for a movie like this too, right? For uh, for this horror movie, yeah. But but the the how ambitious it was because the sort of the idea was they wanted to do Evil Dead's comedy horror sensibility with the uh, production quality of The Howling. And sometimes they were successful, sometimes not so much. But, uh, God, it, it's all completely enjoyable. And that's about it. All, the, it's just it all one works. of those things where just everything just fit together perfectly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They got lucky every time. Uh, you mentioned Richard Band, who's the composer for this particular yes. story. He did get in a little bit of trouble because he was doing a tribute score to Bernard Herrmann. Uh, that is to say, especially Psycho, yeah. using a similar kind of instrumentation. And at one point in, this, in, the, in the score, I think actually quoting uh, some of Herrmann's music. Uh, and people said he was plagiarizing, which isn't, I think, true. I think he was he, he was trying something. He got caught. He got called out for doing something that actually wasn't wrong but you know, know his score this one of my notes is right in the beginning the opening thing i sent eddie a text message like the opening sounds kind of like <laughs> it was agatha all along right from uh wandavision yeah but um yeah well I, you know i just think yeah this i think the score works right like it, that fits in uh he was very lucky to get he, Stuart gordon was very lucky to get a cinematographer in mac alberg uh, who's the who's the guy who came in after the first guy didn't didn't quite work out? Uh, who was a very, apparently very patient and a very good teacher, and who understood that uh, the kind of mistakes that Stuart Gordon was going to make, because all of Gordon's own experience had been in 
theater. Uh, and when you're in theater and you look at something that's been blocked out and it's on a stage, what you see is what you get. But that's certainly not the case when you're looking through a camera. No. Uh, and Mac Alberg had spent his whole life looking through cameras, and so he was able to to guide Stuart Gordon into being an actual uh, movie director as opposed to a, a theater uh, director. And then, of course, they lucked out in terms of the people that they got in the cast, um, who I mean, I can I have my own sort of set of notes on 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 some of these. On That's some why of these we people. have you on, Faustus, for your notes. But, Come on. But basically, when it comes down to, I'll look at like the, the sort of the core of the cast, uh, you know, were people who had, all of them had very limited experience in front of a camera, like two or three small credits. Uh, Jeffrey Combs, who plays the role of Dr. Her or not Dr., but he's just Herbert West at this time, medical school student, uh, with this unbelievable, scary intensity. Like yes. you get the sense that he thinks about his work all the time, even when he's asleep. Uh, and it's well, the, he's a monomaniac. It's the only he thing sleeps. he really. Yeah, yeah we're going to find out. Yeah, that's a question. He's probably, he may be shooting up his own stuff, actually, um, and keeping himself from sleeping. You know, it's all he really thinks about. Uh, and it's all he really wants to, to pay attention to. Uh, but then this is like very early in his career. Uh, and he had been unknown and he was just cast in this role, I think, off of auditions and look at how well he did. He launched himself out of this movie. Uh, you know, he's got something like 76 credits. He appears in a bunch of other horror material. He's on TV a lot too, uh, especially in Star Trek. Uh, those of you who watch something like say Star Trek Deep Space Nine might not have recognized Jeffrey Combs as the, uh, Cardassian guy, Wayun, uh, but that's him. Uh, and he's in a number of other episodes. Then you get someone like Barbara Crampton, again, someone who'd had very limited experience uh, in front of a camera, uh, although probably a kind of an interesting life up until this point, because she, although born in America's most boring suburb, Levittown, New York, uh, she, wow. her father... Wow, she goes from uh, Bill O'Reilly's town. <laughs> yeah, uh, but her father apparently was actually a carny, uh, and traveled with a carnival up into New into New England every summer, and she accompanied him. So she probably she probably learned a lot of showbiz from from that. Again, she, she only got probably pick your pocket. Yeah, probably. Uh, I she mean, you know, skills these, these these things matter. It, it, she um, got cast in this movie apparently only because the actress who Stuart Gordon had originally planned to cast. Uh, dropped out uh the story the story was her mother apparently read the screenplay and she got to that scene we'll get to that scene that scene uh, uh she said you cannot be in this movie are you talking uh, about the so, dinner scene yeah well that was very uncomfortable uh, yeah all the right. together very inappropriate yes you cannot be in this movie you have to drop out just she did uh barbara crampton came in audition got the part turns out again she's terrific she's fun mm -hmm. she's nice she's she's a character who's like smart but vulnerable uh she's, she's the only one who's this movie yeah mm -hmm. she's almost she's like the only person in the movie who's any in any way centered uh yes. we really care about what happens to her and then she's a great screamer oh, oh god one of the best really good and so she launches out of this movie and has a long interesting career uh, she's still also, going you know, strong oh yeah she's of still course. making she's still a scream queen of note uh she's also like a big soap opera star uh apparently she uh she was in what was it called um it was she was in like young and the restless she's did 140 episodes wow. over a span of 20 wow. years 
Uh, Eddie, you have to try to get an interview with her, and let's just talk about the young and the restless. <laughs> Nobody asks her about that, right? No. If I if I get an interview with her, I'm talking about your next all day. <laughs> oh yeah, great fucking movie. Love that movie. Anyhow, she comes up. Yeah, she's ter- she, she she's terrific, and she launches from this movie as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and as you say, it's still going strong, and got nominated as best villainess in a soap opera by Soap Opera Diarist. Uh, Jeff, then uh, Bruce Abbott, uh, who is sort of the other you know, nice guy, point of view character. He, the character who exists in the Lovecraft story, but who has no name. Yes. Uh, he this, now he gets a name, and he literally he becomes, the other guy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's the other guy, and he's the one that you can kind of relate to as a guy if you want a guy to relate to. Like he's the <laughs> poor kid who's smart, and you know he's working his way through medical school. Um, I think in the script, although not not in the movie, it's mentioned that he drives a cab off hours to make ends meet. Uh, you know, he's like he's the young, the promising young man who gets sucked into this vortex of insanity uh, to yeah and he, to to relate to. Again, Bruce Abbott has you know he doesn't launch quite as much as either uh, Jeffrey Combs or Barbara Crampton, though he has a decent career after it. I think he's very good in this movie. Like he's very mm-hmm. good at playing mm-hmm. the the part of the sympathetic everyman. Everybody uh, is good in this movie. Everyone's good in this movie. The guy who plays the security guard. Yeah. Oh my god, I love that fucking dude. Mace. Yeah, I love Mace. Mace. <laughs> uh, is is good in this movie. Like even like the small parts. The 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 surgeon uh, in the first scene who um, uh, I guess she's called Herbst or something is is Carolyn Purdy, uh, Gordon is Stuart Gordon's wife. She's mm. good. She comes off as, as credible and believable. Yeah, and, yeah. Even the fat uh, lady who's having the heart attack, I believe her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like everything just kind of clicked into place here, uh, which is amazing for someone's first movie. Uh, it you know went over and apparently won an award at a major European uh, so film wait, festival. Francis, what was his yeah. next movie after this? I think it was From Beyond. Yes. I think. Oh, okay. Uh, and, you know, that's another Lovecraft movie that you might not realize is a Lovecraft movie, uh, unless you're a big Lovecraft fan. That also had um, that also had Jeffrey Combs in it. Uh, it was filmed in Rome, uh, but it was like this is where they had a resonator. It's not, it also has Barbara Crampton, by the way, mm-hmm. in another Scream Queen role, and it's not bad. Uh, it's recently yeah, been re-released. It has to be tough to follow this up as a movie. I mean, if you fucking oh, sure. like hit a home run, the first time you come with the bat as a rookie and you hit a fucking home run, whether or not people realize it's a home run at that time, but that's got to be hard to follow up. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, this is not... That, that particular movie, however, is actually, I think, quite entertaining. Uh, mm-hmm. It gets a lot out of the principles for that. It was well adapted. Oh, speaking of home ones, we should make sure to wish Willie Mays a happy 90th birthday. Uh, huh? and okay. And then, um, you know, so that, you know, he does follow that up and he makes a couple of other Lovecraft features. Stuart Gordon does in 2002, I think he makes a movie called Dagon, mm, which is yes. an attempt to, a, which is an attempt to adapt uh, the shadow over Innsmouth. Again, what? Uh, how ambitious incredible. too, by the way. Wow. It's, yeah. <laughs> In yeah. a, as a period piece or like set in modern times? No, it, it's set in the 20th century and it's put it's removed to Spain, yeah, for some reason. Um, which is too bad. I mean, I guess I would kind of like a period piece shadow over Innsmouth, but 
uh, I guess I'm not going to live that long or be that rich. So uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get both. You might get yeah. uh, a period piece, but I don't know if you're going to get that as a period piece. Yeah. So, well, we got Call of Cthulhu as a period piece, uh, silent movie. So uh, we can we can at least enjoy that, I suppose. So and every again everything kind of worked. The other the other the other more minor character is the guy who plays Alan Dean Alan Halsey. Uh, yeah, poor guy didn't. He was a, a good actor who doesn't seem to have had that thick of a career. Yeah. Uh, but apparently really enjoyed being able to play a zombie. Because uh, <laughs> it's something he was never asked to do before. <laughs> um, you know, it's Robert Samson, the guy. And then I just want to make another, one more observation on someone who was in this movie, who you might not have noticed, but the guy, um, uh, Peter Kent, who plays the first reanimated corpse. Oh, yes. Uh, no, I have a note about this okay. guy. Yeah, he's maybe the had same. Quite note. a career. He he had well, he's had an interesting career. He's largely he's been a stunt double for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and shit. he was like he was actually stunt doubling for Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Terminator at about the same time that he was appearing in this movie. And you can he fits right. He's a big muscular mm. guy. Yeah. He's like six foot five. He kind of looks a little bit like Schwarzenegger. He's so unusually muscular for that time especially yep. right because that was like before yep. like you saw like all the big uh, well yeah you didn't see that until terminator after schwarzenegger yep yep but my list of things were movies where he's been the double stunt double for schwarzenegger is as follows and it may not be complete it also includes commando raw deal predator the running man red heat twins who knows total recall <laughs> kindergarten cop double who knows yeah. terminator 2 last action hero true mm -hmm. lies eraser and in one that I really haven't figured out yet, Jingle All the Way. Um, <laughs> he, he was Turbo Man. With kids. Every time you see him with with kids, it's the body double, and they're yeah. shooting him from behind. <laughs> That's why he also had to be on the other one with DeVito. He's like, I won't work, work with anybody short. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he certainly brings it all to this movie as well. Oh yeah, yeah. That's oh, yeah. goddamn. That's got to be a career, right? And that's got to be great because you know you're you don't have to work out as much as Schwarzenegger do does. You just have to keep like semi in shape, as which he probably does anyway. And you got to be making some serious bank. And mm -hmm. on the other hand, you're also able to walk down the street without having mobs of people around you like Arnold Schwarzenegger does. Yeah, you got to be a more limber Schwarzenegger. So. Yeah, you can actually like scratch your back. Yeah. So. One other person I I have to mention, David Gale, who plays Dr. Carl Hill in this. I was waiting for that one, yeah. He, unfortunately, he uh, passed. He, he didn't have that long of a career. In, but in this, in this film, what was asked of this man? Oh, dear. <laughs> and the performance that he gave... In incredible and he uh, uh had some trouble uh because of it unfortunately it's uh i mean there's a lot of stories about that that his wife uh stormed out of the out of the screening of the film uh, wow. at, at that scene and that it wow. potentially may have inspired um their separation but that's that can't be How confirmed. do you drop that bomb on your wife on opening night? You have yeah. to. Yeah. So, <laughs> see, all right. See, here's how my mind works. She's pissed off. You know why? Because 
That motherfucker went to work and he came home and he didn't tell her what mm-hmm. they just filmed that day, right? Yeah, you you have to be uh, um, forthright with that. You can't I just think let so, that yes. one. You can't it's surprise just a movie, them. Okay, it's it's not even me. It's a puppet. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, if you're talking about like vying for who the the true antagonist of the film is between West and and Hill, it's such a such a clash of personality, and the scenes between the two of them are are some of the best. It's uh. Oof. Again, all just casted so perfectly and, and so lucky in so many instances. Gotta get a whip it. So <laughs> Tim needs his reagent. And with that Oh, I'm alive. <laughs> and with that I believe we can head out to Zurich. Yes, the opening scene of the movie. Uh, we mm. see an exter- external shot, some kind of big brick building with a sign outside that helpfully says, uh, Institut für Medizin. So we're at a medical school. And presumably some kind of administrator or doctor, followed by two policemen, uh, are stalking, striding down a hall very determinedly. Yeah, they are definitely moving at a clip. Because, well... As they're walking, we hear something very tragic is uh, taking place. We hear some screams. They uh, they move very briskly toward a door. They try to open it. Of course, it's locked. They eventually break the glass, open the door, and we see, um, well, our maybe antagonist? I don't know. We'll, we'll get to that, <laughs> the morality of this film later. Um, but we see Doctor, or not Doctor, we, we see student Herbert West uh, crouching over Dr. Gruber with a syringe full of a, uh, what we presume is a prototype of his uh, reagent. They drag West off of him and Gruber pops up screaming with a bloody mouth. And they reshot this after they were done filming it because... The idea was we need to let the audience know what they're in for within the first minute to two minutes of the film. Really? Okay. Bold. Great call. <laughs> uh, because Dr. Gruber pops up and we get a great practical effect of his eyes bulging. Incredible effect. Ugh. Yeah, it's you feel it. If you've ever had like a terrible migraine, this is what it feels like because his eyes explode out of his head. He falls down. Cop runs it's like in. A surprise finger up your ass. <laughs> cop runs in, checks for a pulse, and says uh, he's dead. And I love West's dialogue through this entire. Like, some of the best writing is West's dialogue. Is. The cop says, yeah, he's he's dead. And Wes says, well, yeah, because the dose was too much. And they say, well, they look at Wes. They say, you killed him. He says, no, I gave him life. Well, he delivers it. And when I heard it, I was like, this could have been Gene Wilder and young Frankenstein delivering that line mm-hmm. the way he says it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we cut right to the title credits with the... Uh, as you said, psycho-inspired, but with a little bit of a jauntiness behind it. Tune by Richard Band, uh, along with 
and and I love these these title credits the, the way that they're done. We've got so much Gray's Anatomy book um, illustrations uh, of human anatomy done in in bright and in highly contrasting colors set a, a, against a black background. So you you get the sense that like okay, well we're definitely going serious, but we're going gory, but we have a little bit of fun happening. And we cut to Miskatonic Medical School in Arkham, Massachusetts. The opening scene is a group of medical workers attempting to resuscitate a uh, unfortunately flatlining patient. And here we're introduced to the well, the uh almost silent hero, <laughs> Dan Kane. Uh, who he just won't quit. He uh, continues to attempt to perform CPR on our poor flatlining patient. They the uh, defibrillator doesn't work, and he uh, eventually has to get pulled off by his superior and say, "No, no, it's it's over. It's over. You you got to let this one go." Right, superior Doctor Herod. Uh, Played by Carolyn Purdy uh, Gordon, that is to say, the director's wife, uh, that tells him, you know, Kane, a good doctor knows when to stop. Take her down to the morgue. Well, no worries. So we just strap her up to also, the. Also, no uh, orderlies, right? Because that's usually an orderly's job to take him to take the dead bodies down to the morgue, not the doctor. Well, he's a he's a, he's a medical student. Eh, still, even an intern. I don't know if that's what that's what they would be tasked with. So throw her up on the. Uh, on the old slab and wheel her ass down the hallway uh, as we get a pretty good shot of him bringing her down to the morgue where we meet our security guard, Mace, who's a, a constant <laughs> in the film. And I love this guy because he, <laughs> he, 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 he's always smoking and yep. reading and pornography. He's got a big-ass fucking glass ashtray, man. And that fucking thing is filled <laughs> up with fucking cigar butts. Yeah, yeah, he, he's having a good time. When you could he's... smoke in the hospital, remember those? Remember those days, Faustus? Yes, the the <laughs> mid eighties. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is the morgue. I mean, that's true. What what's going to happen? And he kind of has a very flippant line about that as well, because uh, yeah, he says, "I had the doors locked. Uh, I don't know why they keep locked doors around here. Nobody wants in, and ain't nobody getting out." Obviously, so. he never saw the candy snatches where people are selling fingers for twenty-five bucks. Ah, uh, nope, not a fan of that. <laughs> so, our hero Dan goes in to drop the body off in the refrigerator, and we get a glimpse of Doctor Carl Hill, again, you know, played by David Gale, and he's got a laser which he is burning a hole in the head of a corpse with. Okay, we'll we'll get to that later. Little do we know that he invented the lighter that every crackhead was going to be using in two years. <laughs> oh, man. So we also have Dean Halsey, who walks up behind Dan, who gets a, a bit transfixed by the laser. After all, it is a bright light. And uh, startles him says, hey, uh, I want to introduce you to Herbert West. Herbert West is uh, new here. And, uh, you know, uh, this is Dan. He's, uh, he's you know, a good guy. He's working his ass off here. And I love this, that, that Dan asks Herbert what, what, he's, what he was researching. 
He says, ah, death. Death. <laughs> well, that's why the reception is in the fucking morgue, right? Because usually when you're a new doctor and the head of the hospital is taking you around to introduce everybody, it's in the morgue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a good place to, you know, meet, break the ice, break bread, have a good time. So Halsey then introduces West to Dr. Hill. And immediately, when he hears Hill's name... <laughs> I fucking love this. <laughs> shoots him a shit look. And uh, he says, oh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, Herbert West. He, you know, he studied under uh, Gruber. And you see on Hill this just quick look of concern mm-hmm. flash on his eyes. And West immediately just dresses his ass down and says, oh, yeah, your work is... Um, interesting it's derivative of gruber's work to the degree might that have been it's... interesting 80 years ago motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> to the degree that it's considered plagiarism in europe <laughs> oh. yo it's a fucking power move right mm-hmm. because he's not even he's there he's a fucking student coming there yeah. right away he's just <laughs> telling his professor like yo I know you fucking copied all your shit you haven't fucking written a paper or a book that hasn't been fucking plagiarized Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we also get a little bit of the dynamic because Hill is addressed as the uh, grant generating machine. Yeah, he's the money maker. Mm-hmm. He's the, the schmoozer. That's what it is, right? Yeah. And it might have something to do with his uh, theory about the location of the will in the brain, but we'll get to that. Uh, because West says, well, that that information uh, of his is interesting and uh, by the way your work on the brain's death uh is outdated the the whole idea that it it, it passes after 12 minutes and he uh, he'll correct him immediately six to 12 minutes and then he says oh and by the way uh i i can't wait to see you in class <laughs> i can't wait i think he says i can't wait to fail you i says, see you here well he'll say that he will say that later after the second confrontation. Uh, but right now, it's just like he sort of stalks out. Um, and so, you know, they leave. Eventually, we get to a message being tacked up on a bulletin board. Yep, because Dan, unfortunately, really... Uh, first, he asks about the possibility for a scholarship recommendation. And then we mm-hmm. see him putting up a uh, an ad for roommate well yeah and the dean's all into it the dean's like oh i'm glad you brought that up i was going to recommend you anyway that'd be a great Mm -hmm. thing for your career so it's not like uh he doesn't deserve it uh at this point the dean is into giving it to him yeah at least in the dean's opinion like uh so yeah and now we immediately we've established the character right so dan um he's very dedicated to his work he he wanted Mm -hmm. to try to save that person's life whatever it took but unfortunately, he just can't afford to make ends meet, so he needs to find a roommate. And the other thing that we establish about Dan, pretty good and bad, apparently, because <laughs> Megan... This is a fine uh, cut, actually. Oh, one of the best. And uh, the note that I have for it, I'm very proud of myself. So Megan, uh, played by Bar- Barbara Crampton, walks up to him. He starts kissing on her. She's, uh, no, 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 no. We're in public. You know, my dad will see. No, no. Smash cut to them literally smashing in her. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the best edit ever. Oh, phenomenal. So phenomenal. (laughs) 
And then, yeah, they, uh, of course, finish their, uh, their little having fun <laughs> and roll over, cuddle up in bed, you know? And it's, it's so funny because, because of Gordon's uh, history in theater, he insisted that everybody rehearse, right? Oh, boy. So, no, no. And, and, and all of the actors in the documentary were talking about, like, that might have actually been very important to our, uh, our roles because the, the chemistry between um, Barbara Crampton, uh, her character Megan, and, and uh, Dan here is very, very good. I mean, they seem very comfortable with each other. Well, you got to figure back in the 80s, low budget horror movie, they're not going to be like, do, let's do another take. Or we got, all right, we have three months to get this whole thing, get together, go, go hang out together. So, yeah, that might have uh, worked out pretty good. Yeah. And apparently for this scene, which was the first one that, that they had filmed together, they spent half a day uh, in bed uh, naked together. So that's a good way to get to know somebody. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I mean, after that. I mean, past the mustards, no problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're cuddled up in bed, and I, I need, like, some sort of a, a running count on spring-loaded cats <laughs> in films. Oh, man, just throwing that pussy around. <laughs> because, yeah, somebody just throws Rufus the cat on top of them. <laughs> That's a dangerous, dangerous thing to do to an actor, right? Especially naked, under a sheet, and that fucking cat had claws, and you just mm -hmm. fucking gonna toss a cat on naked people. That's not. That's not cool. <laughs> yeah. So great load, great spring loaded cat scene, and it's Rufus. <laughs> they put it in like a t-shirt gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it actually it it plays out to, to a to a good end here in this film. So I I'll forgive it here. Okay. Yes, this is uh, Chekhov's Rufus. <laughs> well, it's necessary for uh, for West, but we'll we'll get to that. So they talk about, oh yeah, you know, it's fucking Rufus. He's been hiding around corners. He's he's been hiding everywhere because we got this big new place. And hey, why don't you, Megan, move in here with me? And now we start to get the conflict. Well, she can't because the dean is her dad. So. And, and I kind of love Dan's line here. He's like, well, I can't really afford to rent the place on my own, and I need a roommate. So do you know any eligible nurses that you could maybe? <laughs> Slick move. But why yeah. does he have this place to begin with? Maybe if he had like a small, maybe if he rented a room in the house this big, he wouldn't need to take uh, Dr. Herbert, well, not Dr. Herbert West yet, but Dr. West in as a roommate. Yeah, he, West is speaks with such authority and assuredness in this and i mean that's such his character that you you cannot just not call him doctor you know what i mean <laughs> he uh yeah that's such an interesting thing to think about but yeah i mean he i mean come on you know find a little apartment but then the movie doesn't happen tim because he doesn't oh, need a roommate so there's why. no it's impetus one of those things okay it has yeah, to yeah. happen gotcha yeah. so we'll, we'll get to it though so Megan, she's got to go. She's like, look, I, I got to get out of here. I don't want my dad to know that, you know, we're hooking up because he's such a Puritan. And Dan says, all right, well, how about this? Why don't, why don't we get married? Right. 
which uh, uh, makes sense. You know, you're in love. You're uh, young enough that it's still a really good idea to get married. Oh, yeah. Look, he's going to be a doctor, and they seem to be into each other, right? She's smart. Yeah. And she's married. She's the dean's daughter. How, how can that go wrong? How could it go wrong? Well, we'll see. Anytime you have a problem in a relationship, the answer, there's always two answers. Either get married, or if you're already married and you have a problem, is have a baby, and it'll solve everything. Mm -hmm. And if uh, neither of those two work, ask for a threesome. <laughs> With a best friend. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so she says, no, nah, I, can't, I can't do that. Um, wait until you graduate, right? Because then... You, you know, when you're no longer tied to the university and uh, my dad can't really, he won't be worried about your motives necessarily. He'll just wonder about your motives for like scamming him for the last four years. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. So then they, they have a fun little cute tickle fight and Dan hiding under the sheet, pretending he's a, a ghost or a reanimated corpse, maybe chases her around the house as she goes to uh she got dressed and as she goes to leave the house she opens the door and uh-oh it's there's young herbert west young mr herbert intensity west. yeah just stares at them holds up the note hey i i heard you uh needed a roommate dan's like all right yeah cool i'm gonna go um put something over my penis so that i can have a conversation <laughs> with you <laughs> that's not barbara crampton yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he goes to get dressed, and I, this little scene between Herbert and Megan is so good because he just stares at Megan and says, "I startled you." And she says, "Yeah, you did." And he goes, "Hmm." <laughs> no attempt to be like, oh, "I'm sorry, I I startled you. I apologize." <laughs> just stating the fact. Great. So, He's like a human Mrs. Spock. A little bit, yeah. I mean, you get a little bit of that, that, but it's it's just a hundred percent that he is dedicated to his work. You know what I mean? He does not have time for anything else. Yes, he has a one-track mind, and it's about his one thing that's what gets him going. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So much so that when the minute that he gets into the house, he just walks around breezes past all of the rooms and asks, hey, is there a basement in here? And I'm like, all right, red flag. Hold on. <laughs> Potential roommate asking about if there's a basement, seeing the basement and saying like, yeah, we're good. I'm going to move in right now. My stuff's outside. Okay, this is when I'm like, yeah, no. Well, no. at the very least, you're going to have to pay extra if you want to use the basement. You're renting a room. You're not renting the basement. Yeah, yeah. But and by the way, in, he pays in cash. Yeah. Oh, he a fucking he, stack he of cash too, he right? He pulls out this wad of cash, and mm -hmm. I think I think that if you're Dan, a roommate who pays in cash is actually probably highly desirable, since you know if you've ever had experience with roommates, those that pay by check may not always be as reliable. <laughs> they they're your roommate for twenty nine days, <clears throat> and that's about it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So but, yeah, but, he. Uh... West is cash on the barrel head. He doesn't fool around in any department of his life, apparently. No, not at all. And I love this. He whips the cash out and says, my stuff's outside. I'm ready to move in right now. Shall I? 
Yeah, plus the dude is fucking stupid. He's just had a bunch of fucking sex, so he's kind of like stupid right now, right? Tim, so no, that, Tim. Cash, I'm ready Tim, to get back in the bed with my girlfriend. Let's go. Af- no, Tim, after sex is when you're your smartest. Really? Yeah. Really, you have to be smart to get into bed. No, once no, that, no, no, once no. that's it, that's it. You're done. If, if you're awake enough after sex, Tim, this is when you're your smartest because you no longer desire sex. Ah, and you can focus in on the important things in life. Mm-hmm. I got you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's how Einstein was an Einstein. Okay. He was getting yep. laid all the time. <laughs> so, I mean, it didn't, it didn't really work out for Ron Jeremy, but for most of us, it does. So I love this, I love- too, because... <laughs> There's always the exception to the rule. Yeah. There's a wonderful exchange uh, between Meg and West when they're down in the basement. Obviously, Meg despises Herbert West from the start, mm-hmm. and the feeling is mutual. Uh, it's a lover's triangle, isn't it, right? Because they're both interested in Dan, yes, uh, but for kind of different reasons, and mm. both sees the other as an obstacle. Meg says to West, you didn't say why you left Switzerland. And West, with just complete auteur, says, there is no more I could learn there. Yeah, yeah, and the the exchange between Meg and uh, Dan is wonderful too because she turns to Dan and gives him this look like, "Say no right now, say no to this man." But Dan sees that money, and well, it's over. Come on First in, he buddy. Had the honey. Now he's got the money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we cut. Back to Dr. Hill's class. And this is the scene I was talking about. We we peel the scalp back and he describes it. Oh, hold on. I'm sorry. But doesn't she also deliver a line to him? Like, you know, he never, nobody knows why he left Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, then that's what Faustus was talking about is because in his rebuttal is that, yeah, because there was nothing more for me to learn there. So... We go, we go to uh, Dr. Hill's class where he's cracking into a brain. He uh, peels back the scalp, much like an orange, pulls out the uh, Chekhov's bone saw. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm glad so something satisfying noticed. when you pull that skin off in just one big pull. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, goes around the perimeter of the skull and then pulls out the cow brains. And it looks wonderful. Here he is, you know, lecturing the class, and he puts a little extra stink on the six to twelve minutes line. It's a philosophical lecture. It says, <laughs> "Yeah, there you have it, the brain. Whatever theories of creation and resurrection you may encounter or believe in, once the brain stem of an individual, and when I'm talking about the reticular activating system." Respiratory center, heart regulation. Once these activities cease, the brain can only survive an additional 6 to 12 minutes. 6 to 12 minutes until brain death brings about an irreversible conclusion. And then you hear a crack. (laughs) Which is... Breaks his pencil. Yeah, what a great... Not silent form of protest, but he just snaps it. And it, you just see on Hill's face, oh, God, I want to kill this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, he's had it. 
Yeah. As usual, the feeling is kind of mutual. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but his Hill's speech is also, he, which he goes on at this point, he says, my particular field is the human will. It is my theory that the last cells to give up the ghost, so to speak, are the side of the will. You know, he talks about we all want to retain some aspect of our personalities. We pray for a miracle, a drug, a pill, a potion. And then he starts projecting. Perhaps the personality itself must be extraordinary with a superhuman will to survive. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it takes desire, an obsessive desire, deep in the mind and body. Perhaps, and then crack. Yep. Yeah, real uh, triumph of the will. Yeah, yep. so this is the second. Would you say this is, he already broke one pencil? So would this be the, his number two pencil that he broke? No, Tim. No, you're not allowed sure. to make that joke. Sure, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm just not going to resist anymore. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, this completely derails Hill's lecture. He dismisses the class, and he says, "Mr. West, I would suggest that you get a pen." <laughs> and the minute. The minute that he says that the class is dismissed, Wes, or Wes storms at him and just rails against him. You're teaching this drivel. You're closing the minds of these students before they've even begun to learn. What, what the fuck are you doing? You, you know what you should have done? You should have stolen more ideas from Gruber. Then at least you would have ideas. And ooh, That's tough. Yeah. I believe this, Tim, is what you're talking about when uh, Hill says he cannot wait to fail West. So, goddamn, if we don't have a conflict built up already, uh, it's about to get worse because we're off to dinner. Well, he's just got conflicts going on with everybody he fucking meets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, West has a little bit of an abrasive personality, you'll come to find out. Uh <laughs> If he was only just left alone to do his work. Well, he has big plans, and usually people who have big plans are kind of like that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, wait, if he was a real person, he'd be hosting Saturday Night Live this week. No. No, I think West, at least what he was trying to do, was technically for the good of humanity. Oh, that's true, yes. It wasn't just for the good of himself. Even though it was all self-aggrandizing. Uh, yeah, Elon Musk is just a uh, piece of shit, so. And, you know, if he wants to change my mind, uh, give me a million bucks. I'll say you're not a piece of shit. Yeah. So off to dinner we go. Dr. Hill just scored them a very big grant with his uh, laser drill. And Megan, well, she served the dinner, prepared everything very, uh, very well. And now she has to leave all of a sudden because she has a study date. And immediately, Dr. Hill bristles at this notion. He points out, oh, yeah, didn't, uh, didn't old Herbert West move in with your, uh, your friend there, Dan? And she asks, well, is it, he asks, well, is it, is it wise to, to date Dan? They go to leave. Is it moral, I think he says. Is it moral, yeah. They go to leave, but then Hill makes a very creepy toast. <laughs> um, 
Immediately again, red flag moment to Megan. The obsession. And how's the father not pick this up? Eddie, wouldn't you pick this up? Wouldn't any father pick this up? Dude, this fucking, this old guy is creeping on my daughter. Well, maybe. Yeah, well, he, he does bring in the grants, so. He brings in the wow, grants. Wow, holy shit, fucking academia. That's fucking a. cutthroat. I, I, and... I've been there, and it's it makes one rather cynical, so. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, when, once you learn what motivates people and you're able to manipulate that, it's uh, pretty pretty easy to draw lines. Uh, not, not only that, but to mention that um, there's a little bit of a subplot that we see here, which is that Dr. Hill seems to be able to put people under a hypnotic spell. Yes. Which is alluded to a little bit uh, in the inverse when he makes his creepy toast to Megan. The obsession to all who fall under her spell. And they're like, oh, So she that's... hypnotizes him, but he he can hypnotize everybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then he asks Megan, are you sure you, you don't want to study here because you look so very, very tired? You're getting sleepy and horny. Mm-hmm. And she kind of goes into a little bit of a trance. Sure, you don't want to study here? You look very tired. But then uh, she snaps out of it a little bit. Nah, it's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll go. See ya. And once uh, Megan's gone, he'll uh, begins to ply her father, the dean, to say, you know... Maybe Dan's not... very horny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll have a snifter of brandy. It's and, academia. Uh... <laughs> I found out that people do anything. Yeah. We have a snifter of brandy, and uh, he says, look, maybe, uh, maybe Dan's not right for that scholarship. Maybe because of uh, his morality, right? He might, in fact, just be dating Megan just to get that scholarship. And then once he gets it, poof. He'll dump her, and that'll hurt her, and you don't want to hurt her. Also, he has moved in with West, and West is deranged, and he's dangerous. So if Cain is with West, and West is dangerous, then Cain is dangerous to your daughter. And at this moment, Dean, Dean Dad, is locked in, having a great Dean Dad moment. <laughs> I got an extra D for him later on. <laughs> <laughs> yep, having a great moment, and he he uh, actually crushes the uh, brandy snifter in his hand. Uh, he is so entranced. I thought they just put a Memorex tape on. Oh shit! Okay, that makes more sense. Okay. Yeah, could have been. Yeah, I mean, after all, it is like opera quality. Those Memorex tapes. Tim. But no, we, we go back to their uh, study party and snap too because they hear something. They get a little bit creeped out. Megan it's like, look, West's creepy, so I don't know about him. Dan says, oh, that's alright, because yeah, West's not here. He's got Spe cash. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's got cash and he's not here right now. He's uh, you know, off pushing bodies around, doing work at the hospital. And speaking of he's not here, let, let's uh, have some more sex. Yeah, let's push our bodies. Yeah. <laughs> I got a stiff I'd like to shove somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Megan. Wow. 
now. <laughs> Instead of playing doctor, they play coroner. That's kind of cake. <laughs> you just lie there and do nothing. I'll take. Ah, <laughs> uh, but Megan's not feeling it, not at all. She's like, look, this guy West's creepy, right? He never comes out of his room. He doesn't eat. The cat Rufus runs away from him. By the way, where is the cat? Ah, uh, shit. Well, I guess I got to get up and go mm. look for the fucking cat, right? Yes, I remember watching this when I rented this. I had a cat at the time, Mozart, the greatest cat in the world. Mm -hmm. And he went fucking crazy. Okay. Well, this part was just going around the fucking whole house for like the next five minutes going, pss, 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 pss. And if you ever had cats, you know what's kind of what how that drives them crazy. That sound. Yeah, yeah, that sound for some reason drives them crazy. And the note that I have is, uh, it looks like we're on equal footing because both of them are hunting for pussy now. Oh, goddamn! <laughs> I'm just like the last three episodes. You're only giving yourself the fucking rim shot. What's going on with that? <laughs> well, I'm in control of the soundboard, Tim. Uh, all right. Well, hold on. No, I just learned something. There's something called YouTube. There is something called YouTube. That's correct. <laughs> There's also something called whippets. <laughs> oh, man. So we're stalking around, and Megan makes her way to the door to West's room, and she hesitates for a moment. She's like, I don't know if I want to go in there. Probably smells. The door, the door's open, though. Yeah, slightly ajar. So she pushes it open a little bit, and Rufus, Rufus, are you in here? We see his uh, little mini fridge, you know, with uh, six pack of PBRs in it. She... <laughs> I was gonna say monster drinks, but go ahead. Could be monster drinks, actually. But Mountain Dew. See... Oh my god, Mountain Dew missed out of doing a fucking advertisement with this fucking tie-in with this movie, right? Mm -hmm. mm hmm. It does seem to be about the same color as the reagent, doesn't it? Yeah, the, and the uh, mini fridge is cracked open a little bit. We get a little green glow. She goes to uh, peek in there, and oh shit, there's just a dead Rufus <laughs> in the fridge, like next to his turkey sandwich. Like, don't, what are you doing? I'm kidding, of course. There's no food in there. And just as Man, she does that this. cat's going to smell like turkey sandwich. Yeah. God damn it. Do we ever see as... West eat? No, no, no. never. Well, yeah, because sleep. she actually she's the one who says it, and it's got to be pretty bad if your girlfriend who doesn't live with you she fucking notices like that guy never fucking eats. Yep, yep, and we'll get to that later. So just as she notices a dead Rufus, well, West shows up. What are you doing in my room? I I believe I rented a private room. You know, he's very indignant, of course, because they're they're trespassing. So he says, look, Rufus was dead when I found him. <laughs> he suffocated. He knocked Just like Dr. Gruber. Yeah, yeah, just like yeah, Gruber. Dr. Gruber must have stuck his head in a fucking can of peanut butter. <laughs> a jar of peanut butter. <laughs> this excuse. The cat knocked over the garbage, stuck his head in a jar and suffocated. <laughs> you know what would have been funny is if in that introductory scene uh, there was just like a big jar over <laughs> Gruber's head. It's like, look, he, fell, he knocked oh, over the garbage, man. he stuck his head like in the, the jar. Like the jars that they they would put fucking brains in, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh shit, miss opportunity. Come yeah. on, H.P. Lovecraft, get some sense of humor going. Yeah, come on. Too so serious. he said, look, Dan, I was going to show you, 
And Dan says, well, you could have left a note, maybe. <laughs> and well, again, Wes has a good point. What the yep. fuck am I going to write in the note? Your cat's dead. I'll talk to you later on. Yeah. He says, I was busy pushing bodies around. What would the note have said? Cat dead. Details later. <laughs> Details 11 a.m. So Megan's like, no, you killed the fucking cat. And then Dan's like, all right, hold on a minute. The cat, that's something. This uh, jar This guy's glowing. got cash. So wait, hold your hold your own because you're a woman. Yeah. Okay? A and this guy's got cash. So it's got to be two ways. A simmer down. B, this jar of glowing shit. What the fuck is this? It's Mountain Dew. Come on. You never yeah. fucking heard of it? It's the next great thing that all the kids are going to drink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There'll be a code red that comes later. It's not as good. Uh, and a Baja Blast that's available only at Taco Bell. So Mountain Dew has to be that color. Otherwise, it's not Mountain Dew. Come on. Very true. So West says, look, the uh, the reagent, the thing in there, that's my business. Just like it's your business that you're sleeping with the dean's daughter, right? Hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So uh, at this point, Dan is like, I'm, all right, I'm, I'm just going to knock you out because that's what I do. And Megan's like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. He's right, he's right. Simmer down, let's get out of here. They leave the room, and Wes says, yeah, fine, yeah, go on, get out of here. Garbage to garbage, right as he shuts the door. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, this guy, this fucking guy. Uh, so Dan says, look, I want this guy out of my house. I'm done with his shit. And Megan says, look, here, I have a smart idea. My dad's the dean. I'm going to go through his files, and I'm going to get some dirt on West. Okay, good point. So Dan goes to bed, and he wakes up to a scream and reaches over and grabs a bat. Good move. <laughs> so I guess he just sleeps with a bat. Maybe uh, Mescatonic University is in a particularly bad part of Massachusetts. I don't know. Goes well, uh, student housing often is in pretty bad neighborhoods. I mean, true. That's true. Plus, I mean, you've got Herbert West in the basement doing God knows what with a uh, cat. Right. Because looking around, we hear just horrific screaming in the background. Like, what the fuck is going on here? Goes over to West's door, knocks. Herbert, no answer. Heads over to the basement door. It's locked. And I love it. He bashes the door in and then just proceeds to fall down the stairs terribly. <laughs> <laughs> And I know Gordon was, was critical of himself on this scene because he says, you know, we only had one single source of light. So most of the time you couldn't see what was going on. But I thought it, for the atmosphere, was incredible because we're just in this dingy basement. West kind of runs over at him with this, this admittedly bad stuffed cat stuck to his back. I thought it was a backpack for like two seconds. <laughs> And uh, the, the light is swinging back and forth. Yeah. Uh, so you really do feel like you are in a dark place. Well, again, mm -hmm. it's a happy accident that worked out perfectly, right? Yep. 
Yeah. They lucked out on everything that they fucking did. All right, this isn't. They didn't want to do it because they didn't have the right lighting. But if they would have had more lighting and shot it different, it might have come off looking like a piece of shit. But mm. the way it is now, it it looks incredible. Yeah, it's it's your jaws, right? The the shark didn't look good, so you just don't see him. But it works even better because or not your octopus it. and tentacles, <laughs> or yeah, like the the classic <laughs> tentacles. Tim. Or your boar in uh, what the fuck was that movie we just did with David? Razorback. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. So Dan realizes, all right, there's something going on here, and these two idiots just start bashing the shit out of everything in the basement. <laughs> they're, they're supposedly chasing a cat. Yeah. And according to student Stuart Gordon in commentary, there was no cat. Yeah. Um. And he said, this is the best special effect of all. It's called acting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they do it very well. Yeah. Finally, the uh, the shitty-looking cat leaps at Dan, who grabs it, chucks it against the wall, realizes it's Rufus, and asks West. Uh, he looks over at West, and, and, and then West's like, he says, How? And I love West's response. He points behind him and says, look out! <laughs> There's just this dead, fucked up cat on the ground. West just laughing. <laughs> like, all right, well, little little peek into how deranged West might be at this point. Uh, he's elated because his experiment clearly worked. So now we cut to West explaining that all of life is a mechanical and chemical reaction. So he's created a reagent that restarts that reaction. And he has, I mean, on its face here, he has a noble cause, which is defying death, right? Maybe. So West tries to convince Dan of this and says, look, you need to help me here. You're perfect to help me with this. You have access where I don't have access. Maybe there are certain liberties that you can take because mm-hmm. of your involvement with the dean's daughter. That people I people actually like you for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> you are personable. <laughs> you don't the fuck out of shit and, and chase everybody away. Dan says, "Look, you're full of it. The cat wasn't actually dead. I don't know. You did something to slow its heart rate down, or or whatever." And this scene, wonderful. So this is all right. Is the cat dead now? And it's clearly broken in half and dis- disassembled this cat. It's almost in three pieces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Dan says, yeah, okay. I'll admit the cat is dead now. So Wes like, all right, fine. Pops a little more reagent. Says, all right, I'm going to do the thing. Don't expect it to tango, though, because it's got a broken back. Inject the cat uh, into its brain stem. And it comes alive, alive in quotation marks, and makes these horrible, horrible screeching noises. And Dan says, oh, God, what, what is that? And West explains, well, birth is always painful. And they watch this terrible Rufus puppet. Just... Not for the baby. For the mother, right? I, I don't know. I don't remember, Tim. <laughs> uh <laughs> That's just the, when he said that line, I was like, well, yeah, for the mother, the one who's giving birth, that's the one that's painful. As far as I, unless I, like you said, maybe I was so young, I didn't remember. But as far as I know, nobody's ever said that being born is painful. 
Well, yeah. Wait, hold on a second. I retract that. Okay. <laughs> so we watch the Rufus puppet twitch and shriek in pain. And who shows up right on time? Fucking Megan shows up. She freaks out. What the hell's going on down here? And Dan's like, oh shit, and rushes her out. And now we catch a glimpse that it's actually morning. So we've been down in this basement for a lot longer than we maybe were aware. Megan says, look, Dan, I went through West Files. West experimented on the body of Dr. Gruber. He was locked in a room with him for hours. Gruber died, and West pops in and says, no, 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 you don't understand. I tried to save him. So now we go back to the dean's office, and he drops the dime that uh, he knows about Megan, Dr. Hill, sorry. Dr. Hill goes back to, uh, goes to the dean's office and tells him he knows about Megan and he thinks that, uh... hold on here, my notes are screwed up. One second. This isn't oh. the next scene after this taking place in Halsey's office between Halsey and Dan? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I this apologize. Is where, yeah, this Let's is where the forward. dean is like, uh, hey, I know you're uh, banging my daughter. That's not cool. Uh, you probably want to get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Dan goes back to, to Dean's office and yeah, the Dean says, look, I know you and Megan, I know you're hooked up together and I don't believe that, that you should get the, the grant. And Dan tells him, look, uh, West and I have figured out how to reanimate dead bodies. <laughs> no, no, wait, hold on, hold on, no, no, no. You're banging my daughter. I don't want to hear anything about reanimating dead bodies, all right? Stop. That's it. Done. Yeah. Yeah, you're insane. You're insane, and your experiments are interfering with your ability to do work around here. And, by the way, I'm going to send the cops out to your house. Because if there's any school equipment out there, uh, you might go to jail. By the way, your loan has been rescinded. And uh, mm -hmm. go ahead and... Tell your friend West that uh, uh, he is not going to be encumbered by having an education anymore. Yeah, he uh, doesn't because... have to. He doesn't have to listen to us. He doesn't have to worry because he he doesn't come here anymore. Yeah, he's just gone. He tells the dean, "Look, I fucked up. All right, I I admit it. That's on me. Whatever you do, do not take it out on Meg. Right? She tried to stop me from doing all this bullshit. Nice guy, right? Yeah." Yeah, again, like, you know, this is the uh, the right move to make. And he leaves. Megan says, look, I'm going to talk to my dad. But, Dan, you are going to need to separate yourself from West. And here's where we get the other facet of the love triangle. Um, so the note that I put in here for me is that we have kind of like the age-old uh, problem of uh, the pursuit of happiness versus the pursuit of your works, right? Embodied in Dan's desire to work with West for what he believes is a noble cause, right? Which he thinks will bring him happiness. So it's true. That's, that's, the, that's the thing, right? Because uh, for real, if this is a real situation that any of the three of us, we saw this happening. Wouldn't you just be like almost uh, like a zealot where you're like, look, this dude brought a fucking per a cat back to fucking life, put a little bit more money into it. And that's it. We end death and do that. 
Of course I'll be happy, so of course my girlfriend will be happy because the whole world will be happy. But it doesn't always work out that way. Excellent question. Faustus, what do you think about the uh, idea of extending human life uh, almost indefinitely? Well, there's a, there are a lot of people that have worked on this. There are problems. Like, what would you do with an indefinite life? Wouldn't you eventually become bored? Yes. Uh, you know, have you ever, you ever heard of the... There's um, you ever, there's a famous like a play um, called The Bacropolis Case, which was, I guess, done... I think it was written by Carl Chapek. I may be misremembering. The same guy who wrote... Uh, who gave the word the word robot to the languages of the world mm -hmm. because he wrote the play Rossum's Universal Robots. He also wrote a, a he also wrote a uh, play called The Bacropolis Case, uh, in which there is a woman named Amelia Marti, who receives she is born I think in the seventeenth century or something like that. She receives a from an alchemist a formula that enables her to essentially remain perpetually forty two. Uh, and so she lives for centuries, but eventually she can't stand to live any longer, uh, because she has done everything that she, there is for her to do. Uh, and so it becomes a problem. She eventually like destroys the formula and, and dies at the end of the play, uh, as a way out of what has happened to her. So there might be an issue with, you know, do you really want to, do you really want to live forever? Uh, it would sort of depend, I think, on what the forever contained. Uh, and if it was just more of the same, it might turn into something less pleasant than people really imagine. Uh, so you, know, you have to you have to take that into consideration. Uh, there are a lot of people who have you know from you know it's more of a conservative position, but they say maybe it's a maybe it's a blessing that you eventually die, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and also if you, if you have a pessimistic you know view who of says life, that? people who can live forever. What? <laughs> but nobody lives forever, right? Uh, I mean, this is said by people who know that they're going to die. I mean, there's also, if you have a pessimistic view of life uh, and you think that life is unbalanced, only to be suffering all the time anyway, which some people do, this is kind of a Schopenhauer-like view, you might also come to the conclusion maybe this is not such a, such a good thing, that if you extend life forever, you extend suffering indefinitely, and that may not count as a plus. So there is another side here. Um, just yeah, you know, just to bring it up, and it's not as, as easy or as straightforward as one might think. Well, this is why there's also there's no heaven because eventually heaven turns into hell. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, we 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 have this conflict of the man's work versus the man's passion. What the man's passionate about is work, and it's kind of embodied in these two very very different personalities, right? Of Megan. Um, which, as you said, is maybe the only centered character here, and uh, West, who's brilliant. She's definitely the only fucking character who knows what's going on. Yeah. Right and off West, the bat, she knows what's up. Yeah, and West, who is brilliant, right? And his, uh, his discoveries could create a paradigm shift for all of humanity, but uh, he's out of his fucking mind. <laughs> like, he's uh, overzealous to an insane degree. So he tells her, he's like, look, this, this dude conquered death. Don't, don't you understand what we could do? And Megan looks at him and says, well, what about what we could do? Right. I love you. You. Be, you should be making life with new life with me rather than reanimating corpses. Yes. 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 And this is when uh, Gordon mentioned in the documentary that he, he thought that um, 
sort of the Frankenstein mythos and, and uh, the way that he portrayed it here was a bit masturbatory, right? If all men could create life without women, then, well, aren't we truly super powerful? <laughs> we, uh, we no longer require the biological methods. Um, life is perverse as it is in this, how <laughs> that they're creating, however. But yeah, she, uh, she said, look, we could, you know, we could go out, we could create life. What, what about that? And in fact, I have a plan. Well, yeah, what, I think what that is, is that like, forget trying to bring the past back, look for the future. It could be, yeah, it could be. But it's also maybe, um... They have different motives, right? So, so her motive is, uh, I mean, as far as good could be weighed here, maybe good. Because she says, you know, I can get a job, you continue driving, uh, and, and we'll just, you know, do our, our thing. And in fact, why don't we, you know what I accept? Let's get married. It's perfect. Then my dad's eventually going to have to come around anyway, right? Because he's not gonna, works. he's not going to disown me. And West pops around the corner and says, yeah, you're right. That's a good idea. And, uh, yeah, then, then, uh, he, he won't have anything or I won't have anything on you. That's true. But he does point out that Dr. Hill, take that chance. Yeah. So do you want to take that chance? And by the way, Dr. Hill talked to the Dean and, uh, did you notice that the he Dean said you smell? Yeah. <laughs> He's, did you notice the Dean was acting a little different? After uh, Dr. Hill talked to him. So Megan gets pissed off. Says, you know what? I'm going to go tell my dad about this shit. And I'm going to tell my dad you're going to continue with these experiments. And he's going to get you the fuck out of here. So then, of course, West will be gone. And I can have Dan to myself. West says, uh, yeah, mm, later. Anyhow, Dan, I have a plan. Why don't we go back? <laughs> Here's what we'll do. <laughs> we'll go back and we're going to get proof for the Dean, because then he can't deny it. Right. So he's like, all right, fine. So we will go out. We'll uh, run over a squirrel. We'll bring it back to life, bring it to the Dean. Say, Hey, take a look at this. Wes says, no, 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 no. You're, you're thinking stupid here. If we bring him an animal, that's not going to be enough proof. He could just say like, Oh, it's just some sort of an autonomic response that we're eliciting through chemical means. It's not actually life. What we need. Do that to a fucking lion. See what happens. <laughs> what we need is a human that, that's capable of thought and response. And, you know, it's very convenient, Dan, because you, uh, you happen to work in a place where we can go find dead people. So, cut to Dan sneaking west into the morgue. <laughs> what a wonderful exchange they, he has with Mace. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love it every time I see this. Character. What is the magazine that he's reading? Is it a boudoir? It's like, uh, boudoir, yeah, boudoir. <laughs> so it's classy. <laughs> he looks back. You ain't got my lunch in there, have you? Because he's like West is actually underneath a sheet. He's being smuggled in as a corpse. And Dan's response and with is with the yeah, toe tag one... on too. By the yes. way, for the yes. extra uh, oomph. Yeah, one meatball run over by a semi. So of course this is the opportunity for Mace to like you know beat it and go get a cup of coffee. Wait, uh, no, 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 wait, oh, no, no, wait, Faustus, you just made yep. a Freudian slip because what? he is. De this is his chance to beat it, but it's not to get a cup of coffee. Yeah, he's literally going to fucking beat it in the bathroom. 
That's why he takes that magazine with him. And he's like, oh boy, oh yeah, all right. Yeah, you... That's how you... I read it, at least. How about you, Eddie? So that, is that he going is... for coffee? Is he going <laughs> for a quick whack? <laughs> that is one of the trivia notes that I had, is that Gordon said whenever Mace is leaving to get a cup of coffee, he's going to... Uh... Going to the bathroom to relieve some pressure. He's making his own cream. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so they they get into the into the morgue. West, you know, pops up and looks over at Dan. Is a meatball really? And I love this scene. And and uh, they they talk about it again uh, a little bit and, and uh, some of the behind the scenes stuff that it was actually. Um, Hold on. Okay. They, they mentioned in the behind the scenes that Jeffrey Combs insisted on being without his shoes on here so that the toe tag was on and would look more uh, appropriate. And that Gordon had said, like, yeah, I don't know, because then you have to put your shoes on for the next scene. And he's oh, like, no, oh, no, no. Oh, please. Yeah, explain the scene to me, because I, I have a note written down about this. Yeah. What happens. Yeah. So, yeah, he says to Gordon, he says, no, don't worry about it. I can get my shoes on in time and time. Like, don't don't worry. And Gordon's like, I, okay, we'll try shooting it. If it works, great. If not, if it takes too long, then I want you to just have your shoes on. We'll have your feet covered up by the cloth, you know, as you're being wheeled in on the gurney. So they get in there. And he pops up and immediately starts popping his socks and shoes on and tying them like a bandit, like insanely fast. Well, not only that, no, wait, hold on. You're missing, you're, you're bearing the lead. Mm -hmm. He keeps the toe tag on and he puts yes. the sock on over the toe tag. I did and notice then that. he puts a shoe on and ties it like a madman. Yeah. That's a man who's dedicated to his work. Um, both Jeffrey Combs and Herbert West. So they uh, they're going well. They they uh, hit the cooler to to crack a cold one, and they're doing a little bit of shopping. So <laughs> we're looking around like, ah, oh, here's your meatball, and <laughs> it's the, the the corpse that is mangled. Oh uh, no, this one this one took a shotgun to the face. We can't use this one. No, I don't want that one. That, that guy's... This guy's named Abby Normal. We don't want him. Don't want that one either. Hey, wait a minute. We got a John Doe here. And he's fresh. He just dropped dead. Only problem is a little bit of heart damage. But you know what? If you uh, step back a couple of steps and kind of squint your eyes, boy, this guy could be a real Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> he looks healthy as hell. Do you mm. think he also was like the body double for what's the guy who's always in all the Schwarzenegger movies? Also, Sven. Sven oh. Horsen? or what yeah. his name is? Maybe well, close enough. We all this know guy, who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, this guy could be the body double for any any number of very very large beefy men because holy Hannah! So he gets a shot in the back of the head, and. As we see the, uh, the the recorder being brought out, we take the dictation, you know, this is the time that we're doing it, time of death. This is the uh, amount of cc's of the reagent that are being administered. Dean and Megan are on their way. The reagent's not working. West's getting frustrated visibly. So he increases the dose, says, oh, maybe it's because it's a human, uh, we need a little bit more. The dean heads into the morgue and... Wait, but hold on, he's already given it to the doctor in Switzerland, right? And he said it's too much, so why is now, why is he lowballing it? 
Yeah, that that's a good question. Uh, maybe it has something to do with them reshooting that scene later. Maybe they weren't prepared to, to put that in the beginning, necessarily. Um, so, Wes piss off, right? He, and he's banging on the slab, and he's saying, Ah, oh, it's not me that failed, it's this fucking dead body that failed. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know that he could have done a better job, uh, Herbert. He's just kind of laying there. And just as they're about to leave, uh-oh, we got a big, pissed-off rage zombie. And this is before the rage zombie was really a thing in zombie fiction. Well, he, you know, we you see You know, his, you're right. Is this the first rage one that we I see? I believe it is. Yeah, I, I cannot think of, or, or uh, I couldn't find... Another example of the fast-moving, super-powerful zombie. Usually it was the slow, kind of shambling, or it was yeah. the uh, the voodoo-possessed zombie before here. Which uh, aren't even zombies anymore, right? Right, right. Uh, although we do have elements of that with uh, Dr. Hill, with the, the kind of possession. So... Is he really? Because I thought he was more of like... Instead of like a voodoo priest, I thought he was more like a Jeffrey Dahmer. It was a little bit more like a Charles Manson, I'd say. Uh, so we get a uh, we get a great fucking fight scene where this zombie is just beating the shit out of everybody. The dean's banging on the door. He's trying to get in. They wrestle, and he <laughs> bashes the door down on this poor <laughs> dean. And this is this is a heavy steel door too. It's yes. Not like a- yeah, this is your walk-in cooler. Like it locks in place. All right, heavy. maybe the, maybe some of it's gone over my head, but this is where the humor starts, right? Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. So he smashes the poor Dean under this door, flips and the he jumps door on up. the door. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, and you hear, you hear crunch. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, that, that's not gonna go well for the poor Dean. Gets him up, starts fighting the with dead him. Dean, dad. Shoves him against the wall, bites his Throw, fingers off. Throws him into the wall, like hurls oh, him across the room. That throw against the wall, that poor stunt man. Oh my so God. So many things in this movie get thrown against the wall, and I didn't even realize that until right now, right? Yeah, you got the right. cat, you got the Dean. You'll have another really good one toward the end. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so West, I love it. He he breaks open the glass. He grabs the bones. I guess it's really a case off. of let's throw everything on the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and bits and pieces definitely stick. Yeah, West busts into the uh, supply cabinet, gets the bone saw out, and kind of holds it. Zzz, he's got his weapon, rushes it, uh, Mister Hulk, and jams it through his back, severs the spinal cord through the chest cavity, through the heart and out the front and it is so well shot just again it's gore. Just, uh, practical another effects pr- even when they look cheesy are still which this does not look cheesy at all but even the cheesy fucking practical effects still look so much fucking better than what's going on today because i'm an old man maybe no argument okay no no well i don't know i think it's um Practical effects are basically they have a certain amount of error on the around the edges, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the way real life normally looks. Like bits and pieces are spinning off and falling off and coming apart and shining when they shouldn't. Uh, 
because that's the way the world is constructed. And then when in a digital world, everything that would be happening sort of at random would have to be put in by a programmer and you can't anticipate that well. So it always looks a little fake uh, unless you're doing an extraordinarily high, high gloss job with, with CGI. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know, there's also just something, and I've said it before, there's something about a practical effect. Yeah, I know, this, where, is, a, this is one of our pet peeves on the show. Yeah, there's something about a practical effect where I can just, for some reason, comprehend it in a three-dimensional space a lot better than... Well, because a, a, it's happening in a three-dimensional space yeah, instead of happening yeah. in a fucking computer that's trying to make it look like it's coming at you in 3D. Right, and, and plus, like, to Faustus's point... Uh, it, it's almost like when you see, like, if you've ever taken a picture of, of a, a face and then you cut it in half and then mirror it, how it's perfectly symmetrical. And you're like, wow, that just, I don't want, I want to kill that thing. That's not a fucking human. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> the, the too much well, wait perfection. A second. I got to change my Tinder picture. Yeah, Tim, you should probably change your Tinder picture. The bag should be crumpled Get disproportionately. Oh. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, t I cut the bag you, in half and I pasted it back you, together. You got to get back on the other side of the uncanny valley there. Exactly. Okay. Yes. So now we have a bigger problem, though. Now that the big guy's dead, the dean is also dead. So. Well, this actually might work out to their advantage, right? Because guess yeah. what? They're not kicked out of school anymore. That's true. Yeah, the dean's dead. You just move on. Uh, we have so, a nice... So, uh, you know, don't take this as actual advice, but if you're having a problem, just kill the dean. And that's it. You graduate college. Plus, I heard if your dean dies uh, while you're in college, everybody gets A's. That might be an urban legend. <laughs> Is that true? I Well, I, yeah, because I know if you have a roommate that... Uh, knock wood something tragically happens to him you pretty much guarantee you you just get like a pass so like if the <laughs> dean dies does everybody get a pass you know no. it would make it would make a lot of sense for for like the the instances of the bush family you know making it through ivy league schools that they just had their roommates off <laughs> Oh, well, you know what? Look, when your daddy's the head of the CIA, that That's shit true. really fucking helps. Yeah. <laughs> Tends right? to it clean works itself out in so up. many different ways. At, the, at this point, I'd like to make an observation as someone who actually has experience with Ivy League schools. Once you're in, it's actually very hard to get out mm -hmm. or to be thrown out. Yeah, they probably like, don't want that happening well, too often. Yeah, it's because like, isn't it one of those things, Faustus, where like if one person gets like exposed for like being a pompous fraud, that guess what? It's gonna shit's gonna roll uphill and downhill. The next person's gonna be exposed it, as being a pompous fraud. Fraud. It's just more the, more the case that a lot of these places are so grade inflated um, that and and so reliant on the idea that what's important is that you went, you know, that you went to Yale or whatever that they don't really care what you do while you're there that much unless you really pull a harsh one. Like, if you, like, shot the dean or something like that, then they might throw you out. <laughs> yeah, but, but, um, but, you know, but if you just, like, screw around and do terribly in classes, you're going to have to, like, be a really colossally high level of uh, intellectual or academic incompetence to, hmm. to get thrown out as, a, as an undergraduate. So, um, well, isn't that for the most I mean, the part thing, the most thing about people the, go? I'm sorry, go ahead. What? At the Ivies, I guess I just you know, I've, I've met some some of the most most extraordinarily intelligent people I've ever known, and I've also met some really dumb people, and they all seem to get through one way or another. 
All right, now Faustus, would you say that the most smart people that you met were usually like from maybe like the poorer people, like the people who actually had to work to get into those schools versus the people who were legacied in? Um, I think that some of the smartest people I met, it's just hard, it's very hard. I think that, that high degrees of intelligence just sort of seem to happen almost at random. And uh, I've met, I've it, met some well, smart people. Well, it certainly helps over. having a mommy and daddy who can buy a fucking wing for the school to make sure that no matter what your quirks are, you, how great you are in math, how great you are mm -hmm. in computer science, but uh, you like to set fires, but you right. still get to stay in uh, Yale and Harvard. Well, I never met anyone who was a pyromaniac genius uh, that I know <laughs> of. Uh, <laughs> well, that's right, because yeah, they haven't been caught. The smartest people actually, I think, often came from... Yeah, they came from sort of middle class families. They weren't as they weren't as socially tony as the the median of the school, but that's probably not that that surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah. Makes sense. I mean, it's scattered a shot, right? A lot of it's down to genetics. Uh but I'll tell you one thing. If a student ever uh banged the dean's daughter, killed the dean and then brought him back to life, might Well, that's a guaranteed A, right? Your parents yeah. Might get them kicked out, or might yeah, might might uh keep. Or them there. it might be their senior honors project. Who knows? I don't. Could know. be, yeah. I mean, it's at least worthy of a thesis for sure. So, uh, yeah, Megan uh, slips away, and uh, we decide we're gonna we're gonna inject the dean. We're gonna we're gonna get him uh, back up and running because, after all, the problem with the uh, bodybuilder was probably. You know, the meat was old. It's been a minute. Yeah, that's always the problem with these movies, right? It's always the freshness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not what you're starting out with, not the uh, the what you're what the what clay you're you're given to build with. Yeah, it's the freshness of it. Yes, yeah, because the the brain, after all, once the body uh, death is a process, and that process takes time. The longer that uh, that process is going on, the more degradation there is. He says. Maybe all we uh, had revived in that body was it's just animal impulse. Uh, it... Well, that's a good fucking first step in the door, right? I mean, Jesus yeah. Christ, you got to walk before you fucking, uh, you got to crawl before you can run. Yeah, yeah. Not I mean, just right away, bring people back from the den. They're going to be fucking Albert Einstein again. Yeah, I would say the, the cat was a foot in the door for sure. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, they, uh, they stop. hook the Dean up and. Says, oh, we're gonna we're gonna prove them all wrong. He says, uh, gives him the the little bit of juice. We're counting down five seconds, ten seconds. Ah, something should have been happening. And again, we we cut back to West pounding on the slab, and he's almost equally motivated by, I want to bring this guy back to life, and I want to prove to you, Dean, that my work is valid. And if I bring you back from the dead you will definitely have to admit that i was right well again <laughs> i think that's a big motivation for a lot of people like this where it's yeah. not only do i have to do it but i want to prove everybody else wrong yeah it's the and ego so i was right like mark zuckerberg like i couldn't get laid in college no matter fucking what but now look at me mm -hmm. look at him yeah he's ruining well, he still can't get laid no matter what but uh yeah. That's and he's that's ruining the only viable commercial virtual reality system by tying it to Facebook. But hey, <sighs> never, I will never ever sign up for Facebook, no matter what. No, no. Again, if it's free, they're selling you. 
So. Oh, please. There's nothing in this world, especially on the fucking internet, for free. You can get a free lunch. Ladies, guess what? You have a better chance of getting a free lunch from some swarmy fucking Las Vegas 55-year-old motherfucker than you do of getting something free on the fucking internet. Yeah, for real. So, yeah, Megan uh, makes her way in and uh, calls out for, for her dad. She's not quite in the room with them yet, but she's in the wing, and her dad snaps awake. And immediately, and, and this is the right response, if you're ever knocked unconscious, you wake up and don't know where you're at, you hear somebody screaming your name, just reach up and start choking anybody that you see. <laughs> <laughs> because that's exactly what I, I remember does. doing that when I was a kid, when I was a fucking, when I had to go to the dentist, I used to fucking almost like have to tie me down after mm. they gave me the fucking gas and knocked me out. So yeah, he actually does it, he has a twofer, right? Because he gets both west. Mm -hmm. And Kane, yep, one in each hand, and he yeah. sort of lifts them up. And the only thing that stops them is the entry, the entry of Megan into the into the autopsy room. Mm -hmm. And she he calls her uh, "Daddy, don't do that." Yeah, and he and... sort of immediately retreats. And at this, after this happens, what happens is we get Mace, who finally comes back. <laughs> See, see, see. His... And he doesn't have a coffee with him. He does. No. Do you have to drink the coffee at the fucking cafeteria? No, he should be able to bring it back. So yeah. we know what he was doing. He wasn't drinking coffee. Well, he, he you know look... what? He was putting the GTA code in hot coffee. That's what that motherfucker was doing. <laughs> he does look a little bit more relaxed. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, not for long though. Now he, now, yeah. now he now he comes in with magazines his gun rolled up. Yeah. No, yeah, like you said, Faustus, he pops in with that fucking gun drawn. He's like, what the hell is going on in here? And West immediately snaps to action. It's like, oh, yeah, dude, it was him, man. He went fucking crazy. He came in here and he started breaking shit and he stabbed <laughs> that guy. Look at that guy. His body's all fucked up. That was because he got that bone saw and he was coming after us, man. Well, he does have a point. I think he says at some point later on, like, what are they yeah. going to think? The motherfucker came back to life? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, Mace goes off to call the police. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, he yeah, washes because... his hands for a second time just to make sure. Because the dean's defense is to grunt and cower in the corner with blood coming out of his mouth. So right. not a good defense. Not a good look. <laughs> yep. So, cut to, we're back at home. Isn't it as bad of a look as being seen by cops in a foreign country standing over somebody dead with a fucking syringe in your hand high above the air? But he got away with it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. He he did his community service, maybe. So, we, we cut to their house, and West has made uh, Dan a sandwich. He's like, here, man, you need to eat this. Have a sandwich. And he goes, ah, oh, we're, we're okay. So, we're going to be all right here. Cops bought it yep, because, like you said, Tim, who the hell is going to believe that he's a reanimated dead body? No one's going to believe that. That's yep. crazy. Plus, we're all they're all rich white kids, right? So nothing yeah, that's could be true. out of the out ordinary here at all. A little, little bit of privilege playing out through it, maybe that that could that's a possibility there, Tim. But uh, speaking of. Uh, your privilege uh, getting you into scenarios and situations you might not deserve to, uh, much like a lot of these uh, higher-end, wealthy people.
people. Wes starts twitching, and he's acting a little extra weird. He's, he's not doing too good. And he's acting extra weird, and he's like, look, just eat the sandwich. I, I got to go real quick. I got to take a shit. So he leaves. He's like that friend that you go to lunch with and they need to go up 13 times to go to the fucking bathroom <laughs> before mm-hmm. the waiter even comes over with your first course. Mm-hmm. They come back sniffing a bunch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. so uh, West retires to his room and uh, Dan's Dan follows him. Like, all right, something's going on here. I got to go check. And we come to find out that, well, we see West on the floor attempting to uh, extract a bit of his uh, reagent for the purposes of injecting himself. And he is acting uh, quite... high in his own supply. Yep. Shouldn't be doing that. And he is definitely acting like an addict. He goes, look, this is... It's not what you think, man. It's totally cool. It's okay. My doctor said it's fine. Because I'm a doctor, and I say it's okay. Yeah. This reagent stepped on. Like, it's not the full deal. This one's been... Oh, boy. He mixed it with extra Mountain Dew. <laughs> it's been a little bit weakened. He put some diet Mountain Dew into mm-hmm. it. That's what it mm-hmm. is. And uh, much like a lot of college students who uh, get addicted to Adderall, he needs it so that he can stay awake, keep his brain sharp, and study. So... Dan is kind of disgusted by it. He's like, ugh, whatever. Just, all right, fine. He helps him draw a little bit of it, hands the syringe to him. And you see West kind of, you know, tap to try to get a a vein to pop out, but nothing's coming. So Dan's finally like, look, fine. All right, how much? I'll inject you. Just go ahead. And I love... That's a real friend, right? Yeah. A, A true friend ties you off, Tim. That's very true. So, <laughs> I love Jeffrey Combs acting in this scene specifically right when he gets that injection, because he immediately leaps, uh, uh, in an almost like feral manner, much like the reanimated corpses do. Stops, cools himself, and says, "Okay, got a plan." This is like when Urkel turns into Stefan, right? <laughs> Yeah, Tim. It's exactly like when Jaleel White, Steve Urkel, turns into Stefan Urkel. I was going to cut in a clip here uh, of uh, Pee Wee Herman's PSA about crack. Um, I couldn't quite figure out the joke to make, but just so you know. (laughs) Yeah, this time. Don't worry. Yeah, we'll see. So now we cut back to the poor, poor Dean. And he's in a straight jacket. He's in a padded cell, and he is dead acting. Dad Dean, dead Dean Dad, the right. dead Dean Dad, and he's acting the hell out of being a zombie. I got to admit. So that that note is definitely true. He had a lot of fun with this, and he's in Doctor Hill's office. Apparently, Doctor Hill just has a padded cell. Yes, I have a question. <laughs> we all like, have is questions. Is this fucking Law and Order SVU where the fucking chief of police has a fucking window that they just roll up and all of a sudden there's a fucking prisoner in there going fucking crazy? Well, Tim, it's about to be in a very special episode of SVU here in a minute. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. my God. Yes. Wow. Uh, 
season 23 is really going off the rails. It gets really rough, Tim. Yeah, I, like you said, Faust, I have a lot of questions about Dr. Uh, Hill here. <laughs> because having a padded cell behind a one-way mirror in your office so that you can just observe somebody, that's got to be against some part of the Hippocratic Oath. I, I don't Wait, know. I haven't Dr. reviewed Hill's it. is that Dr. Hill's office or is that the yes. dean's office? No, no, I think it's office. the dean's office. No, that's Dr. A, Hill's office because later... It has Dr. We'll Hill be, on the door. We see it yeah. later. Uh, Okay. Not to mention, we'll be rummaging through his files and finding his file on Megan a little bit later. So, oh my God, yeah, it really is an SVU episode, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is, man. Because Doctor Hill is uh, in there with Megan, and he tells her, "Look, um, I don't know what happened to your dad." But I know what the solution is, and that's me performing exploratory surgery on him. <laughs> oh, just, that's your so, solution uh, to everything. Just sign this in with a power of attorney, and we'll all be okay. And sign this prenup, because we're married. Yeah, Faustus, to, exactly to your point, that's his solution for everything. <laughs> Burn a hole in their brain. With a laser. Uh, when, Jeffrey Dahmer, motherfucker, huh? Yeah, yeah, or Mengele. When your only tool is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail, for sure. So, he wants to burn a hole in this Jesus poor man's Christ. head, and he just needs her to sign the release. She hesitates, and he starts laying down some of that uh, hypnosis on her. Starts saying, look, just first of all, call me Carl. Don't call me Dr. Hill. And uh, I know you're you know, feeling very vulnerable and alone right now. And uh, by the way, if you ever feel... Like you have some problems, you can come to me. Or if you're ever just lonely, you can come to me. And right about then, her dad headbutts the one-way mirror. And you get the feeling somehow he can see through the one-way mirror, potentially. Or maybe there's some other sort of a connection, like he's got a divining rod. We'll, we'll find out later. She snaps out of it and says, look, no, just forget it. I'm going to take care of him, and I'm going to go find out what happened. She storms off. So then Hill, dejected and angry, well, he's got to have somebody to uh, take it out on. So him and his orderlies pop into the uh, padded room and presumably drug and restrain the dean. So we cut to the operating room. Hill has x-rayed the dean and determined, oh, this guy's dead. <laughs> <laughs> his neck has been broken and yet... There's erratic brainwave activity. His heart fibrillates, but something's something's going on here. He's dead. So, well, what do we do? Well, let's make him docile so that we can study him. Uh, cut to the laser gun, and I believe this is the uh, Faustus, like you'd mentioned before. The one uh, effect that is used here is the the laser gun effect to make the cool little Bernie light for it. Was it because I thought it actually, I thought it actually looked pretty good? It looks good, yeah, yeah. It wasn't um, like something like when I saw it, I was like, "Oh shit, that's like taking me out of the movie." But you know, it didn't look like. Well, of course, there's no CGI, but whatever the equivalent would have been when maybe doing something like that, I don't know how, just, how they, they fucking pull that off. They describe it as an optical, yeah, uh, which which I believe means that they manipulated the manipulated the, the image post post shot. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, probably just did something to, to the lighting on the film itself afterward. But I, I mean, to your point, yeah, it looks good. Um, yeah, there really isn't anything in this movie that's like quote unquote special effects where it's like, pff, yeah, that looks like bullshit. 
Yeah. Well, looks very good. But the smoke is supposedly cigar smoke. That was done in camera. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So Megan heads home. And when she gets there, Dan's waiting. And he says, look, I feel like I should probably explain what's going on. (laughs) And I'm like, how? How do you explain this scenario? At this point, dude, go out. You're a driver. That's what you do for a living. Get in your car. drive. Yes, it become Ryan Gosling. (laughs) Yeah, get in your car. Find a direction. Keep going. (laughs) Uh, But no, he loves you. If you could tell your girlfriend this and she stays with you, that's it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. If your girlfriend is okay with you killing her dad and reanimating his dead body, I mean, that's love. First of all, it was an accident. Second, it was for science. (laughs) Yeah, true. Look, I might have cheated on you, but it was an accident and it was for science. <laughs> That's right. When I killed your dad, I was thinking about you. Yeah. It was all with our future in mind, honey. <laughs> uh, so I love Killing it. Killing your because... dad really made me realize that we should be together forever. Mm-hmm. I love it because he tries to explain it to her and her response is just slap him at the end of every sentence. <laughs> which <laughs> which fair. Yeah, it seems like an appropriate uh, response at this uh, point. Uh, yeah. yeah, and again, exactly. it's she really pulls it off, and everybody in this fucking movie just really—it's—it sounds like it would be cheesy every time he says something. She's slapping him in the face, but it just fucking plays incredibly well. Well, yeah, because I mean, she's telling the whole story with her face in this scene. Like it's whew, very well acted. Um, so he says, "Look, your dad's not crazy, okay." He's dead. Remember the whole thing with the cat and it being dead and now it wasn't dead and then it's dead again? That. Yeah, it, there really isn't. Cats really don't have nine lives. So, honey, no. uh, guess what? It was. <laughs> okay. Both, it was science. Both cats and fathers do not have nine lives. So, we go back to the basement and this is one of my favorite scenes. West's still working because what else would he be doing? And he's going over his notes, checking his reagent. Got a little microscope over there with some cat tissue in it. Did we skip a scene? Uh, I don't believe so. What am I missing? There's a Dr. Hill's office scene. Okay. Maybe this comes later. Well, okay, let's go ahead with the basement. and Yeah. yeah okay. So Dr. Hill shows up and asks, uh, West, quick question. Why is it that the Dean's heart fibrillates? And why is it that he cries out in pain when we both know that he's dead? So West says, all right, look, Hill, what do you want, man? And well, Hill first, does he him, do like a, I don't know what you're talking about thing? Yeah, a little bit. It's like, I don't know what you're, what you're saying. He's ah, you know well what I'm saying. Because I want the formula. I want your notes. And then he lays the hypnosis down on West a little bit and says, look, you will do what I say, and you will give me your notes. The West reaches down and grabs his notes, hands it over to Hill, and Hill begins reading it, and he tells him, that's brilliant. Your expansion of that old fool's work is brilliant. And the one time that we see Herbert West's character crack is right here as he's immobilized watching 
and he cries just a single tear. Okay, why is he crying? That's a question. So, is he crying because he's getting recognition from somebody, yeah. or is it that he's he's out of that he's given up control to somebody else? I think that's the the right question, right? I, I had exactly both of those uh, same uh, uh, feelings and thoughts about the scene. Wait, uh, you can have this? two feelings at the same time? Don't let him know, Tim. Don't let him know. Okay. Oh shit. Faustus, what was your read on it? Oh, I, I guess I see I see West as too much of a, a monomaniac uh, to do anything except be angry that his work is being interfered with. Uh, mm. And he senses that he, he's at a moment where he might lose. But... Yeah, yeah. He senses that, and then he'll tells West, well, you know what, though? Uh, you can be my assistant. You know, I'll go on, and they'll probably retire the Nobel Prize after uh, after this. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, this guy's fucking Donald Trump before Donald Trump, right? Yeah, he really is. <laughs> Not only am I going to win the Nobel Prize, but they'll never ever be able to give it to anybody else. No, nope. they'll have to rename it the Hill Prize. And he says, uh, "The only problem well, then is then it'll be just a hill of beans." <laughs> no, Tim. So then he says, "But uh, the problem is Dan's going to have to disappear." So West, oh yeah, oh okay, Dan, yeah, yeah. So we cut back to Dan, and he's explained everything to Megan. And he says, look, here's what I got to do. I got to turn myself in, okay? Everything that's been going on, I'll turn myself in. The cops can get involved. Everything's fine. But first, I want to go see your dad. Megan says, uh, well, but he's dead. It's not my dad, you know? <laughs> he's, uh, as you've explained to me, that's whatever that is, is not my dad. But Dan, Dan insists. So we go back to Hill in, in West, and Hill sees the microscope that West was looking through. He says, oh, I recognize this microscope here. Oh. Maybe you stole it. He looks in there and says, ah, cat tissue. And West says, yeah, yeah, you want to watch the reagent at work? I'll put a little put a little on there, and you can watch the watch it do its job. Watch it, okay, uh... stop. Hold on. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been a microscope kill in a movie? Because that's uh, because, like I said, I have not seen this since it came out on uh, DVD, uh, not DVD on v on uh, VHS. VHS, yeah. And when I saw him bend down and look in the microscope, I'm thinking, dude, just shove his fucking head. <laughs> yeah, that would have been I good. And then I wondered, has there ever been a movie where somebody has been looking in a microscope and Jason, Michael, Freddy, whoever? shoved their fucking head right into the microscope nothing comes to mind but yeah that's a good one man i don't know of an example <clears throat> wow i've stumped you and faustus holy got shit. me yeah well, I'll, you know I'm what just gonna I'll... shut up for the rest of the episode goodbye uh, <laughs> i'll look one uh, up tim i got a screenplay to write um yeah so he'll tell us west yeah yeah or Sorry, West tells me, yeah, take a look. Here's a little reagent in there. You can watch the watch the reanimation magic take place. And he kind of sneaks off, goes back and grabs a big fucking shovel, and then just whacks his ass right in the back of the fucking head. And the note that I had on this one is that they used a uh, kind of a, a thicker, uh, poor rubber when they made the the prop for this and this poor dude got cracked over the head repeatedly 
for them taking this shot. It's okay. It's rubber. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it was wonderful. And then he welcome knocks to him. show business. Yeah. So then he 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 uh, knocks him back down, gets on top of him, and beheads him with the shovel. And it's gory point of view shot, repeated strikes, not just a clean cut. And Hill's Hill's dead. Now, uh, I guess the villain is uh, gone, so we can go ahead and roll credits, everybody. So, uh, what did you... No. No, West couldn't leave that well enough alone. He uh, picks his head up. I mean, do you get any fresher than this? No. No. And I love West's West's move here. I, I tried to make the note of this but but there was a particular object that's used i didn't know the exact name for so it's called a spindle yeah right so i i believe so yeah yeah i was i i got a desk receipt note holder slash skewer because west picks his head up sets a, it into a tray it's a letter spindle and yeah so you, this is he puts the letter spindle in the tray and for those who don't know what we're talking about it's basically a spike uh, that rests on a base. Uh, and normally you would like take, you know, letters and things and stick them on the spindle so that they would be kept orderly. Uh, but in this particular scene, we find another use for them. Yeah, because he keeps trying to put it in the tray and the head he keeps, keeps falling tipping over. over. <laughs> like his fucking thing. Thump. God damn it. And he's looking around frustrated, finds the spindle. Well, he's top heavy. Yeah. <laughs> finds the spindle, <laughs> takes it, chunk, sticks it right through the neck hole. Sets it down because you know you don't want the head not looking at you. <laughs> He's got to watch you forever as you study and and be tortured. Uh, then West gets an idea, like, huh? Parts. Never done whole parts before. All right, fuck it. <laughs> Whips out a little reagent, injects it into the head. Walks over, injects it into the body. We wait for a minute. <laughs> And, as and we now made, the movie is the brain that would not die, right? It really is, yeah. Because, and I love this that that just a little extra insult to murder and reanimation. West starts tapping his head with a pencil. Oh, while he's waiting for him to wake up, yeah. <laughs> and especially since it's a pencil, it's not even a pen, right? It's not even a pen. Just tap, 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 tap. Finally. The Dr. Hill, his uh, head wakes up, and a very breathy voice says, West. Yes, Doctor, it's Herbert West. What What are you thinking? <laughs> and just a very, as we see the body kind of uh, beginning to stand up in the background, a very, very elongated, You bastard. <laughs> And the body just grabs West by the head, bangs his head on the desk, and it's a good night for West. It's probably the first sleep he's gotten in uh, weeks here. So then we cut back to Hill's office, and uh, we're ransacking it because we wanted to go see Dad, of course. And while we're uh, uh, trying to talk to Dad, Dan is at least trying to you know see what's going on with him, Megan is looking around. And goes through Hill's files and uh, finds her file. Her file, which is 
photos of her that clearly were taken without her knowledge, napkins, okay, and a lock of hair. So, yeah, we get the feeling Dr. Hill, uh, his obsession's a little fucked up at this point. So Megan goes in to see her dad, and, uh, well, he's he's been lobotomized, as we've assessed, and he's just, like, now in this just constant state of panic, right? Where before he would lash out and attack, he has definitely been made more docile, but ah, it just seems horrible. Seems like a really bad day for this guy, you know what I mean? He's a Stafford husband. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So West wakes up. Which, why isn't there a remake of that movie, but just flipping it, right? The Stepford Husbands? Yeah. Uh, so, from my understanding, originally the writing of the, the Stepford Wives was about uh, Mommy's Little Helper, uh, basically amphetamine pills being given to these women so that they could be happy and productive. So for men, it would be, I guess, the Joe no, Rogan that's podcast. That's the point. It's just we need to make remakes, but we need to make them a little bit different. So yeah, just, just gender swapping. Husbands. That's it. That's it. Okay. Don't think okay. more about it. Come on. So so men are, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, they're all convinced that they have low testosterone. They go to a clinic uh, that's held by Joe Rogan to make them happy. <laughs> yeah, because you know what? Joe Rogan is the medical authority. Yeah. So, yeah, Dan, <clears throat> um, well, he, he shows up back at West, who's just waking up and kind of assessing the situation, and West realizes everything's gone, the head's gone, the body's gone, the notes are gone, the reagent's all gone, and Dan says, what Except happened? Except for what he has upstairs. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. His little sneaky, you know, you know, that's actually how you know it's an addict, Tim. That's a very good point because he hides it around the house. <laughs> uh, so Dan's like, what, what the fuck happened? He's like, well, I killed Dr. Hill. Oh, so he's dead. He's like, well, well the, the great, the, not anymore. Yeah. Well, not anymore. <laughs> so is it a crime? Uh, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. It's at, at the... I, I think that might have to go all the way through the Supreme Court. You kill somebody, but then you bring them back mm. to life. I mean, what is that charge? Oh, so Tim, what you what you're suggesting, Tim, is a uh, a remake of the movie Double Jeopardy, where you kill a person, you bring them back to life. It is a mistrial because they're not dead. Then you kill them again, and you cannot be convicted of the same crime twice. Wow! Holy shit! I <laughs> I want to make that remake. Let's okay, go. hold on. Yeah. I don't think that'll it'll uh, get made, Tim. He says, "Yeah, not not anymore. He's not dead." And, One day, uh, Netflix will pay somebody eighteen million dollars to make that. Yeah, but not me. So he says, "Yeah, yeah, not anymore." He says, "Look, I had to, I had to kill him. All right." And Dan's pissed. He's like, "What the fuck do you mean you had to kill him? What? What?" He's like, uh, "Well, he was gonna steal my research." He's like, "Okay, well, yeah, that sucks, but don't kill the guy." He's like, "No, no, no, never mind. He wanted you to disappear." And Dan's like, "Oh." Well, okay. Plus, then I he guess... said you smelled. Yeah. <laughs> he said he didn't like you. Just generally, he said he didn't really like you. Like, oh, okay, well, fuck him then. So now, he'll, or West's got this theory that uh, Hill needs them. So Hill is going to come back. So Dan just needs to sit in the house and wait. And Dan's like, well, 
I don't know if that's necessarily true because uh, I think we should probably go find Megan because when I was, you know, looking in the place, we, we found this file where he's got this psychotic need for her. And Wes just starts like laughing like, ah, oh, God, what, what that really? That's all this fucking hill guy wants is this broad. So Dan tells him, oh, you're, you're sick as hell, man. Come on. Sick as hell. Sick as hell. So we go back to Hill's office, and we've got the body carrying the head in <laughs> and uh, gives it another dose of the reagent. You know, just a little pick-me-up real quick. And I we love also, this. The interaction with Mace. <laughs> oh, that's coming up. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. See, again, here we go. He's got He's got half a heart on, right? And he's like, oh, shit. Somebody's coming down. All right, you know what? I'm not going to look at you. Don't look at me. Just go ahead. Go in, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, Hill goes to his office, puts the anatomical model of a head on for his head. Oh my god, this is so fucking good! Yeah, <laughs> he's just walking with this <laughs> stupid head on. That's like on his it looks head. like one of those fucking heads from like that body ex- exhibition that you see traveling across yeah. the whole fucking country. It's ridiculous looking, and I do love though. There's like a, a intercut scene of West reading "Surgical Errors and Safeguards" by Max Thorak. And he's laughing like a moron. <laughs> yes, that's the book he was reading. Holy shit. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, we, we just get some more, like, insight into West's personality. But, yeah, like you said, Tim, he's like, look, I'm not going to make eye contact with you. You don't make eye contact with me. I'm sneaking into the morgue. You keep reading your I'm magazine. I'm not seeing you sneaking in. You're not seeing me read Boudoir magazine, so mm-hmm. it's okay. Mm-hmm. And then his ear falls off. <laughs> like, Oops. And I well, love this. Mace wasn't going to stand up and go, excuse me, there's your ear, right? Yeah. He's got to sit no. down. <laughs> yeah, he's got to stay seated for a minute. And then I love this because the note that I have is uh, Barbara Crampton, I guess, on the set, they, she asked, well, why didn't he just put his own head on instead of the stupid dummy? <laughs> and they said, shut up and just act, right? Because that's too yeah. deep, deep of a question. We can't yeah. figure out that. We can't figure that shit out. Come on. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? So we go, he goes into the head and just, or goes into the head. So he goes into the morgue and just starts setting up shop. The head, you know, holding them up, looking around. And they they get to work, the head and, and the body. They're a real dream team, you know? <laughs> so. <laughs> I still can't figure out how this works because it, it, there's some points yeah. where the body is blocking what you would think that the guy who's looking, the head that's controlling him, would need to see for this thing to do. But, eh, whatever. It's a movie. Yeah. Yeah, and you get the very the sense that, like, somehow the head is still able to kind of connect with the body, but also, like, it gets frustrated when the body's trying to do shit and fucking up. It's like, oh, God, come on. Well, it's you a learning curve, just... right? Yeah. Have you ever had your head cut off and still been able to control your body? It's going to take you a while. It's like learning how to roller skate. After a while... You're, yeah. you're wibbling and wobbling, but then you, you kind of get the hang of it. Yeah, I guess. I suppose it's just kind of like getting a spinal injury and then going through rehabilitation. Where you're like, just move my toe, you know? <laughs> Only uh, to the nth degree here, because it's a full separation. Uh, so, yeah, Dan decides, look, well, I got to go get Meg. And uh, so he does, and they make up. That's great. But then Daddy busts in. And he breaks into the room, beats Dan against the wall a bit, 
and then abducts poor Meg. We cut back to the lab where Mr. Nohead's performing some lobotomies, and Daddy brings his little girl in, and here we go, folks. It's about to get sexy. <sighs> White fire. <laughs> the scene. <laughs> the scene. So, the Dean's zombie puts his daughter on... The divorce scene, right? Yeah, the divorce scene. The Dean puts his daughter on the slab. You know, where they drain the blood out of the bodies and... It's a steel autopsy table, actually, I think. Yes. Straps are down. Not really sure why you need straps in this room, but okay. Uh, Holy fucking shit, Eddie. Holy fucking shit. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Why are there fucking straps on the table that you put fucking corpses on? Yeah, it's a very well, good question. <laughs> when you're reaching, when you sever the fascia underneath the skull and reach underneath, you're putting pressure, sliding the body backwards, right? Oh, okay. So, for so getting when you're peeling him like an orange, yeah. you, you need to hold it steady. That <laughs> oh, makes sense. Oh, shit. That's right. Okay. okay. All right. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Oh, Faustus, that's why we have you on the show, right? Because <laughs> yeah. who else could explain <laughs> to, why you to need ra- straps to rationalize... on the magician's table? To mm. rationalize away these otherwise difficult things. Mm. Um, well, it's about to get more difficult because Daddy just undresses his daughter. Yeah, this yep. is going to get to be a real heady movie pretty soon. So, oh, boy. Uh, so hold on. We start with the uh, beheaded body feeling her up a bit. And then that's not <sighs> enough. So, of course, the body has to pick old Dr. Hill's head up and... First move, Tim, tongue in the ear. How do you feel about that? Eh, you kind of have to work up to that, right? Because yeah. that's kind of, that's, uh, that could be a little bit shocking, no matter what. You've got to work up to it, Tim. But if you're go- if, if that's your thing that you want in a relationship, you got to make sure you get it done within the first three dates is what I've heard. Uh, well, no, no. <laughs> Anal is within the first three dates, Eddie. What you have to do, if you're going to do that shit to her ear or you want that shit done to your ear, that's like within the first date, right? Because Oh, God. If you get past that, if if you can go on a date and man or woman, mm-hmm. you could stick your tongue in the other person's ear and they're not like completely freaked out. Yeah, you, you, you're kind of set, right? I I suppose so, Tim. I suppose you're right. It doesn't work out here though because this is their first. And I date. really, when I originally said that, what I should have said is like <laughs> maybe with like the first three months of a real relationship, not the first three <laughs> dates. But we'll keep this bit going. Yeah. And you know what? I kind of like that. That yeah, that's right. I'm that kind of a player, motherfuckers. That within the first three dates, if I'm not getting anal, I'm out. Yeah. So it doesn't work on their first date, the tongue and the ear, because she is uh, not down with it. Um. So eh, you know, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Can I just uh, back up one little bit because there's a course. wonderful sequence of screams that happens yes. here. First, you know. Uh, Meg is, is on the table. She looks up. She sees the body of Doctor oh, yeah. Hill with the head. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of a mood top. killer, right? She screams. Then she looks to her left, and she sees Doctor Hill's head in its tray full of whatever it is juice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she screams even louder because this is even worse. She thrashes about. She knocks. 
the plaster head off of Hill's body. It falls to the floor. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, then she God. really screams. Yeah. It's an amazing sequence. That's, that <laughs> and it shows so just how great a screamer that how great a screamer Barbara Crampton is, too. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess now she takes over the crowd as a scream queen, queen right? Absolutely. Look, we see her back She's... molars in this scene. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, she's well, I, up there. I think we see a lot of her in this scene. Yeah. Yeah, we get to know a lot about old Barbara in this scene because, uh, well, so does Dr. Hill because uh, the head makes his way down, stops for a second at the nipple, of course, because well, why you wouldn't look, you? Yeah, you look, you, you just can't just, you can't just like plunge right in, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you also don't have to do any of this, but hey, why not? Uh, and then. We make our way downtown, Tim. You know, this doctor knows that you have to lick it before you stick it. <laughs> oh, that's a very good question. Would he get any pleasure out of uh, intercourse here? The the head being uh, severed from the body. Wow. Wait, hold on. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Here we go. Four-hour podcast. Okay. That's a great fucking question. Exactly. Yeah. See this? Because oh, I'm he here. looks like he's getting frustrated with the body when it's not doing anything, but when the body is like bouncing around and banging off shit, he doesn't also look like he's like feeling it, right? Yeah, yeah. But then don't you have to like throw your body a bone? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh. Like, look, I'm the fucking brains. You're the brawn. Okay. Eh, mm-hmm. Here you go. Here's your here's your trophy. So that really, I mean, man, that brings up a lot of problems, whether she uh, does fall in love with him. And if it's for his mind or his body, then then what do we have going on? Oh, well, wow. That you know what, women, that is the ultimate question right there. Which one do you fall in love with his mind or his body right there? (laughs) Uh, She falls in love with me. He doesn't have a great personality, but as far as we know, but which one is it? Yeah. Well, he's certainly charming. My bet is uh, on the head. (laughs) <laughs> okay so yeah he uh the head just gets put between poor barbara's uh and i say poor barbara because wow this scene must have been something to film and she was quite the trooper this is divorce worthy right uh, yeah you spring this shit on your wife you take it's... an opening fucking night and this is what you're gonna see and yeah. for real you're not even like giving her a hint like uh you know this did get an x rating and yeah. they had to cut a lot out of it yeah they didn't even go that's one of the things like you were saying earlier faustus with the producers they didn't even attempt an r rating they're they're just like you know what we're gonna do it and we're gonna do it right uh we're gonna, re- we're gonna release this oh mm-hmm. boy and they did which is great they loved it in europe um, but there you have it, folks. Basically, what longtime internet internet reviewer El Santo once called the most vile sexploitation sex uh, set piece in '80s cinema. Uh, that's wow. it, right there. Mm-hmm. And he may be right, but it's interrupted because who shows up at the wrong time, at least from the <laughs> Hill perspective? It's that pesky Herbert West. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with a series of really great lines. Oh, um, so good. Yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> he just, no matter what, he's still going to shit on his professor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He just pops in. It's like, I'm, oh God, I'm very disappointed. <laughs> you steal the secret of life and death, and here you are trysting with a bubble-headed co-ed. 
You're not even a second-rate scientist. Yeah. He has to throw in Bubblehead. Yeah, he's got to insult her. She's not Bubbleheaded. She's the smartest fucking one in the entire fucking movie. But he still says Bubbleheaded. Yeah. Uh. Continued. Continues the onslaught. Go ahead, Thastus. It's great. Yeah, I see. Hill returns. Ah, Miss Joyce, I'm glad to see you. It saves me the trouble of sending for you. And West tosses, you'll never get credit for my discovery now. Who's going to believe a talking head? <laughs> get a job in a sideshow. By the way, I would like to note that there is um. Oh, go ahead, Faustus. Go ahead. Because, yes, go we, ahead. Because we go back. If we go back to Dan's room and the official, uh-huh. the first scene yeah. What's the poster on the wall? What's yep. the poster on the wall? The Talking Heads. Yep. Uh-huh. Stop making sense. <laughs> the, the soundtrack of my adolescence. Um, <laughs> so, oh my God. And yeah, I used yeah. to work in a pet food store called Little Creatures, and every like week for like four years, for some reason, we'd have somebody call up and say, "Does David Byrne own this store?" That <laughs> uh, must have been very frustrating. This is not his beautiful store. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no. Um, it's really wow, Faustus. Just this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's really just this one-upsmanship between Hill and West, and it, it's so good, these two characters. Man. Meanwhile, one of them is a head that's in, in, a, in a tray. <laughs> like, I love it. So, all of a sudden, Hill's like, no, you, you know, you stepped right into my trap, and all the cadavers in the morgue have been reanimated. And it's a real ballroom blitz we got going on here now because uh, Dan <laughs> comes in to, to try to save the day. We find him largely useless in this situation <laughs> as he like immediately gets knocked out. A couple of the cadavers grab West and restrain him. And Hill, uh, well, we hear Hill monologue a bit about how he has mastered the, uh, his laser lobotomy procedure to make people into his slaves and truly could there be anything more terrifying for herbert west than to be lobotomized and made into hill's willing servant or unwilling i suppose this i guess you should be crying yeah if the if the center of the the brain that controls will is gone then there is no willingness um so he begins the body begins burning a hole into uh, West's head, and it takes a while. So uh, he has that a to bit sit different there. Than before, right? Before yeah. it was kind of quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he gets to just sit there and kind of smell himself cook. That's got to be an experience. Uh, meanwhile, Megan, again the smart one, like you said, Tim, convinces her dad. She's like, "Look, Dad, look, it's me. Come on, you recognize me, right?" I mean, I know you're not naked. You have to recognize me, right? Yeah. I mean, I know you did just bring me in here to do what was going to happen. Let's get past that for now. We'll talk about that in therapy later. All right, Mm -hmm. Dad? That's right. And 20 years from now, it will be perfectly kind of normal. Yeah. You will not be able to judge me uh, based on who I marry coming up here uh, because I can just bring this up. So... 
<laughs> he, <laughs> you uh... that time you brought me to the headless corpse that uh... actually had head? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so she convinces her dad to change sides. He, uh, he kind of snaps out of it. He's like, oh, shit, that's my uh, daughter. Maybe. Maybe there's some thought going on in there. And he moves Well, yeah, because over. I think at one point, I think th- throughout the whole movie, doesn't uh, <laughs> West, Dr. West, not even Doctor, but he always keeps saying that they're showing some kind of signs of understanding. Yes, that's his whole thing is he wants to get a response out of them. He wants actual and consciousness. The, isn't this the ultimate example is that throughout this whole thing, she's able to reach her father and he understands that that's his daughter and he's going to change? I mean, I would say Dr. Hill talking to him would, would work also, right? Because, I mean, it's they're engaging in conversation. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, with the dad, it, it works as well. So the dean wrestles Hill's body away so that uh, it's no longer burning the skull of West. And uh, they, toss, they toss the body out into the hallway. And poor Mace. <laughs> he sees He's just come fucking... back from wherever he was. Yep. He's... Yeah, we know where he was. Come on. He sees... Yo, he this sees... is, uh, he's doing a fucking Ernest Borgnine. That's how he's living this long, right? He's jerking off every single day. At work? Yep. Was it, yeah. Like, wow. How great is it to jerk off at work and, and you're getting paid for it while you're on the clock? Right? Uh, yeah, I suppose. But he, Union he, rules. He I got to take a break every fucking 45 minutes. If you love what you do, you never work a day in your life, Tim. That's very true. <laughs> we do see... he Essentially what has happened is that Halsey, or zombie Halsey, has crushed uh, Dr. Hill's head in his hands. Oh, yeah. And then he throws it out into the hallway just as Mace is walking up. Yeah. And yeah, uh, the, uh, the hits, other thing thrown the against the wall. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hits the wall. Bits of it, like, stick to the walls. It falls down. Mace takes one look. One of things. Like, just, like, crawls down the wall, right? Yeah. Like he looks room, takes one look inside this room where all hell is breaking loose. Yeah. And he just... That's it. He's gone. He's yeah. out of there. Oh, yeah. fuck this Hero shit. No, of the you know movie. what? I'm going back to the bathroom. He's <laughs> like, you know what? I don't get paid enough for this shit. <laughs> there, there's work at the post office, man. I I, I just, you know. Mm-hmm. I, Yo, and not only have I had the post office, he probably jerk off like three times a day. Yeah. Well, maybe. We'll have to ask Bobby about that. So <laughs> he'll... He, Bobby works in the field. If he's jerking off at all outside, he's in trouble. Oh, the guys God. who work behind the counter, they can do that. Yeah. Special delivery. Yep. So West had a plan, though, this whole time. <laughs> yep. He's got a lot of syringes that are loaded up, and his theory is, well, overdose. Yes. Yeah, he, too much of a good thing. Mm-hmm. He plunges a couple of these syringes back into the back of Hill's body, and this practical effect, oh, man. Chef's kiss here. This body, the rib cage, separates blows open right we get some lovely smoke coming out of it and then just entrails erupting out this this long what looks like an intestine reaching out and starts choking west so man we've got bedlam going on in here we got one zombie that's knocking over a bunch of death gas we got fucking the Dean making a heroic sacrifice. He rushes into a big group of the zombies and they tear him limb from limb. We got another one that's like chewing on the electric panel in here. It's fucking crazy. 
All right, well, maybe everybody's going to shit their pants when I say this, but the intestine scene coming out, this kind of was like, eh, I don't know. It, it shouldn't have been in the movie. It was I fun. It, <sighs> I don't know. It's just, it was like, with everything else that's been going on in this movie, as crazy as it's been, this is like just really like, for me, this is a little bit over the top. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit much, Tim. That's a very good point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> more Somehow, is more. I just don't find that to be this realistic. Yeah. <laughs> now, wait a second. Look, I will spend my disbelief for all the other shit that's happened in the movie, okay? Mm-hmm. A head giving head. All right? Mm-hmm. I can buy into that. But this part was just a bridge too far. Okay, Tim. Wow. Um Shocking criticism from Tim Yobo. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, Bedlam going on in there. You know, he's he's made his heroic sacrifice, the Dean. We fight our way out, and as just a last, last bit of uh, what's left of West before he dies, he screams to Dan as they're exiting the notes and throws his bag. A true scientist, right? Yeah. The most important thing, uh, he's been consistent throughout the whole movie. The most important thing to him is the research and the work, right? Yeah, no it's matter what, like, it's, the, it's the work. It's almost like he wants to live through ever through his work, maybe. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, Dan uh, scoops up the, the notes and uh, pops out. We get a pretty good, you know, fight out to the elevator. We get in the elevator. Tim doesn't know a lot about them. That's a different union. Uh, and as the door is shutting, we get a burned guy. He he pops up real quick and gets into a fight, starts choking out poor Megan. Dan runs back and grabs an axe. I'm not going to play the sound effect, but you know. Oh, come on. You have to. Okay. Uh, as soon as I saw this, yeah, I was like, there oh, you go. this is why you're so happy about this movie. No, I love this movie without the axe. It doesn't even need it. It's that good. And Cuts this fucking zombie's arm off. And by the way, the actor here, amputee. So, uh, wow. yeah. Fuck. yeah. Not, not as a consequence of the movie, he was. No. He <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> was this before <laughs> the movie or after <laughs> the movie? Good, Just wanted to make that clear. Thank you for yeah. that information, Faust. <laughs> yeah, I know. They cast an amputee and uh, it worked because then, yeah, when his arm gets cut off and uh, they slide into the elevator. So, again, see, practical effects, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shit. I mean, I know how practical it is just having to go out and find amputees for your... <laughs> Kidding. No, Anyhow. but... All right, look, dude. <laughs> somebody... That guy got fucking work, right? Mm-hmm. For whatever. Yeah, yeah. Today, they would just have a regular fucking dude, and they yeah. would just CGI his fucking arm off. Yeah, today we don't even hire fat people to play fat people roles. We just get skinny people and put a suit on them. So... I, I agree with you, Tim. Uh, hats off to them for uh, uh, casting this guy. He, you know, played the role, did it well. Problem is, the arm disconnected from the body is still uh, animated. And it chokes poor, poor sweet Megan to death. It's too late for her. We're in the uh, elevator and Dan begins uh, attempting CPR opens the elevator door when they get to the the bottom floor and he's carrying her very uh he starts to look uh, very very masculine here and powerful you know holding her he's got the ripped shirt and he's all splattered with with blood 
It's a very yeah, Bruce of Campbell. She's passed look. out, so she can't see. Yeah, of course. He's in his finest moment, and she doesn't. He has to tell her later, I guess. He's good. <laughs> <laughs> you should have been there. You should have oh, been there, man. You should have been there. Oh, you wouldn't believe what kind of hero I was, man. Hey, Holy look, shit. talk to this nurse here. She'll tell you about how cool I look. No. So, uh, yeah, she's toast. And I guess we got to try to bring her back to life, don't we? And we end up. Sorry, go ahead. They, they do try, like, you know, there's a, there's a typical ER scene that echoes yep. the one that begins uh, well, the movie. Again, this is the beginning of the movie, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Same yeah. people, same situation. Possibly the same room. The same same Dr. Herod, you know, tells him, Dan, you can't she's gone. You can't do anything. It's a bit more understandably a bit a lot more tenderly this time. Um which is interesting. It humanizes even this minor characters get humanized in interesting yeah. ways in this movie. Yeah. Like she has like ten lines and yet she's still, you know, recognizably a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, perfectly so good writing it. Yeah. Yep. Oh, right, I have absolutely. a question. Do you think that he gives up quickly this time because he already has it in the back of his head that the faster he gets to inject her with that juice, the better chance he has of bringing her back? And that's why he's not going on and on like he did in the beginning of the movie? It's a fascinating conjecture. I don't know. But it's, it yeah. could be. Yeah, it's a possibility. I mean, I, I kind of got the, the read that he wasn't even thinking about the reagent until it was too late and then it kind of kind of stabbed yeah but the he knows about it it has to yeah, be yeah, at least yeah. it's in his subconscious whether he realizes it or not he realizes that there's a fucking juice that he has that he can give to her and try to bring her back yeah. and the whole thing is that it again uh well i don't know we haven't said it but kind of like pet cemetery by stephen king is it's how long between somebody's dead and you bring them back yeah. Whether or not they're going to be the person that they were, are going to be some kind of fucking crazy maniac. Right. It's it's uh, how much of them remains. Right. It's how much of their their personality. Their yeah. So maybe the first the doctor has it right. Maybe it's that six to twelve minute window where if somebody's <laughs> brought back, they're going to be themselves. But after that, you can bring them back, but yeah. they will be themselves. Maybe. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. Somebody, what's the time between all the deaths in this movie? Is she dead more than twelve minutes or no. uh, under twelve minutes? No, she died. If she died in that elevator, I mean, I don't know how tall that building was. It, it didn't look to be like a hundred floors. It could have floors. stopped at the fucking fiftieth so, floor cafe. They could have. Yeah, that's true. Well, but we see we see the outside of the building. Yeah. Once, and it's about six stories tall. Yeah. Could be a really slow elevator, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Uh. So now he uh, realizes he's got another arrow in his quiver this time, and he slowly gets the reagent, fills the syringe up, goes to inject it into her, and the screen fades to black. And all we see is the green glow of the syringe as the plunger oh, goes down. Such a great fucking shot. Oh, and we For hear real. That. It is just to watch that whether or not you like this movie or hate this movie, just to see that fucking last shot is just fucking mm. incredible. Because it's earned and the implications, yep. is, which are paid off as we hear her last scream, which, whew, <laughs> just chilling scream. And then credits. That's uh, that's reanimator. 
So, Tim, what did you think of it, buddy? Second viewing. Uh, I am really so- sorry that I have not seen this movie more than I did. Really. I mean, like I said, I was probably way too young and dumb to really appreciate this movie for what it was when I saw it. And I'm almost basically 100% positive that the reason why I rented it was because it was rated X and I wasn't supposed to watch it. And <laughs> yes. then after seeing it, I was just like, eh, okay, so I saw a head give somebody head. Eh, okay, what's the next thing? Yeah, yeah. But Faustus. yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that I got to, again, so many movies that I would never watch again or watch to begin with because of the show. So mm-hmm. thanks, Faustus. Great pick. Yeah, thank you. Faustus, any other closing thoughts you wanted to uh to bring up before we before we end this? Uh what to say? I mean I guess this movie it will I can now pull it out of my Blu ray player and put it back in its shrine, uh where it where I keep it. Uh mm-hmm. and but yeah, this is just this I guess this is just the last thought I always have about this is this is what sort of having the courage of your convictions can look like when you make mm-hmm. movies. Um, mm-hmm. Is that you know, so you can you can give it your best shot and something can really happen. So I, I wish that we saw more people who would try Versus give it a shot. Doctor West, who has the courage of his convictions, and look what happens. Yeah, true. Well, he comes back for a sequel, right? He certainly does. Bride for of a the Reanimator. A couple yes. of them, yeah, and then yeah, then uh, beyond, yeah, a lot of them. <laughs> um, there's actually another one coming out soon that I am struggling to try to understand how it's going to work. Um, hold on here, it is. I'm trying to find it. It's insane. Uh, Combs is not involved. One moment. Psycho reanimated. Which is a uh, the worlds of Psycho and Reanimator collide. Wait, what the fuck did you just say? Yep. Psycho, as in Alfred Hitchcock, mm-hmm. Anthony Perkins, mm-hmm. and this movie are going to be in the same universe. Yeah, it's. Uh, it looks like it's a short though, so we'll we'll see what that becomes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I would only mirror what you're saying, Faust. This it's. It's not often that you get to see a, a vision, like an individual vision being realized with with so much support around Gordon to get it created. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and um like you said, his his uh director of, of uh photography here being, you know, weathered enough to help him where he need and they, and they went on to work for quite a, a while afterwards. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Almost well, exclusively dude, after this, like he worked you're, with him. You're my fucking guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just yeah the clarity of a vision versus like the the design by committee that you often see, and then I, I think also it, it really speaks to everybody that was involved for the most part. It appears was on the same page with what they were making, right? They all kind of understood what this was going to be in the end. This and, might uh, be the best example of everybody being on the same page. Yes. Yeah. Because it was just so perfectly executed. Um, so I think that about wraps it up for Reanimator. Again, I mean, go out and see it if you haven't. We've spoiled the hell out of it. What are you talking about? Don't go out. Just see it. At, uh, just there's plenty of places. Where can they find it? Oh, I mean, it's on Tubi. It's on uh, Shutter, And it's in the blood bank, of course. But before we start I would recommend our own stuff. The, Ar- the, Arrow, the Arrow Blu-ray, actually, is probably. Yes. 
if you're That's if you're really the aficionado, if you really want to know, because there's a lot of excellent. Not only is the picture quality really really good, uh, I think they did a 4K restoration on, on it. There's mm-hmm. also a lot of a lot of good features. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you can get to know the people who made this movie as well as the movie. Yeah. That's as I said, the the documentary that that they include on there is wonderful. The commentary tracks are are great as always. I, God, I wish there were more commentary tracks. Yeah, stuff like that always makes you appreciate the movie more, right? I mm-hmm. mean, especially if it's a movie. I, I again, this is the, movie, the second time I've seen this in like how many fucking years? But yeah. if it's a movie that you really fucking love, and then watching the commentary and all the other shit, it it only makes you appreciate it better. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just recently I watched, uh, we rewatched Total Recall with the commentary tracks, mm-hmm. with Schwarzenegger doing the commentary. Oh, is that track. drunk Schwarzenegger? Yeah, it, he's oh, ridiculous. Oh shit! <laughs> Every scene is his favorite scene, and uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> oh, I it's wonderful. remember the scene. Yeah. Uh, so before we get to our plugs, uh, Faustus. You've got yes. some stuff that's uh, happening with you, buddy. What do you want to... Well, I guess I'm doing a couple things, but the most interesting thing right now is I'm I'm coming turning into a podcaster in my own right. Wow. Uh, Holy mm-hmm. shit, it's about time. Yeah. yeah. It kind of is about time. I mean, but I, you know, sometimes I pick up slow. I mean, not that I don't enjoy being a guest here on Bloody Bits and everywhere else. The, the It's sort of among its various cousins. I love being here. I hope I'm going to be back. Of course. But um, what I'm really going to be doing here is I've always wanted to have a microphone under my own control. This has sort of been true ever since I started working in radio when I was 17. And at last, here I am. So what I'm doing is I've got a podcast called the Squick or Squeecast. Uh, And what it is, is an interview podcast. What I'm doing is I am interviewing the creators of what I call Dark Erotic Art. Uh, which is to say erotic art that draws on the same kind of uh, sort of inspirations that animated the cover art behind classic pulp art or shutter pulp like terror tales or weird tales mm. or horror stories and movies like Invasions of the B-Girls or for that matter Reanimator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm you know playing to a number of interesting fetishes. My first episode has dropped. Uh, I have interviewed a friend of mine named... Uh, Sean Richards, who was a pioneering creator of a set of choose-your-own-adventures erotic books. Uh, They have such revealing titles as Dominate Your Teacher, Ravished Inside the Haunted House, Taken by Aliens, and Fight in the Sex Arena. Uh, We sort of concentrated on that last one for this particular interview. (laughs) And I'd say we had a really cracking time. Uh, Two more episodes have been fully recorded. One is going to be dropping a little later this week, where I interview a specialist in writing stories about monster sex. And I have another an artist who I'm interviewing who will be dropping a little later this month. Uh, and then interviews that are in process uh, hung up on certain various challenges, like uh, the interviewee doesn't want to be on mic or the interviewee doesn't speak on English. But we will fix that. Um, are coming well, up. Well, they in, don't want to be on mic. That's kind of a problem. Yes. No. Well, what we do is we're going to do it. We're going to do it by we do it by email, and then we're going to have it reenacted. Hmm. Uh, yeah. What's also... going on with the uh, the radio drama you had going on? Well, that's gonna that's in that's sort of it's holding on for a while. I you know it's I can only work on so many projects at once. Uh, that's gonna sit around, and eventually, if I can put a cast together, I'll try to produce that as well. Uh, because I certainly I've always loved uh, radio. If you need somebody too. to be like a 1920s New Yorker, give me a call. You're the most <laughs> New York person I happen to know, Tim. So yeah, you're definitely on the list. Um, so anyway, you can probably find this podcast on your app of choice, uh, but I will also send in the link 
uh, for mm-hmm. those of you who want to pick it off of Libsyn, and I hope that I'll be seeing some of you, if only virtually, there at some point in the near future. Mm-hmm. I'll put the that, link in the show notes as well as in the uh, social media posts about that. that right, that's the damn. plug. I'll, I'll really, send you the it's epi- about time, Faust. I can't believe yeah. it t- it's taking you this long with that voice and that knowledge that you have. Holy Christ. Well, yep, here I am. Back to journalism. I'll send you the episode <laughs> art as well. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. Tim, anything you want people to pay attention to on the internet? Uh, I think I have something coming up on uh, Mustachio Podcastio, mm-hmm. the Grind Bin, Mini Bin, mm-hmm. this. I'm just, I'm just all over the place. Yep, all over the place. And uh, you're already yes, listening. Best description, to... I'm all over the place. Yeah, if, if you've got a podcast and there's a problem, just give Tim a call. Uh... 1-800-555-YOBO. <laughs> and if you uh, like the content that you're listening to right now, you can always go to patreon.com forward slash bloody bits. You can get more of our content and listen to us talk uh, even more. We've got a bonus episode coming out. I believe it is this week where we discuss an episode of Tales from the Crypt with, uh, well, with creepy little Zelda Rubenstein from... Oh my God, <laughs> I remember, yeah. I love that episode. Uh, we've also got our episodes of The Candace Files. I think Files. I just started a new category on Pornhub. Oh no. We've uh, also got our episodes of The Candace Files where we talk about uh, bad people trying to do paranormal investigations and... Uh, we kind of get to yes, the heart of Candace that. Candace tries to convince us that ghosts are a real thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to whatever end. Uh, and other than that, I would say if you can't do the Patreon thing, I understand. Tell a friend, though. Uh, that's the only way yeah, we five advertise. Five-star review on iTunes is always great. And mm-hmm. to everybody who's paying us to bullshit and get high and drunk every week and talk about movies, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. And jump in our Discord. We we try to do uh, every weekend or every other weekend. We have little live viewing parties of movies and uh, talk over that in various states of alebriation, as Mister Yobo calls it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I think with that, everybody, that this is how we end it until we get a little reagent. We start it again. Oh no.